Hello everyone and welcome to Millennial Rewind, where we take a not-so-sentimental look at the movies and TV shows that were around when millennials were growing up. I'm your host, Nick, coming to you from Santa's Workshop on the West Coast, Los Angeles, California. This episode, however, I am alone in the City of Angels. Jules will not be joining us. He is currently rapping in Italy. However, I am not alone entirely. Joining me from the teddy bear filled with nails and sawdust of Southern California, the Inland Empire, is my other co-host, John. John, what's happening? Oh, I've just been um, kind of redoing, redecorating, but brushes are expensive, so I'm just painting with my beard. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That'll make sense later. It'll make sense later. Also, you could be painting with your beard right now. Folks, you can't see him right now because you are not on the Zencaster call with us, but John is dressed up as Santa Claus, and he's even gone so far as to paint his beard and eyebrows white. But before we get started with this episode, if you like what you hear today, please do us a favor and hit that subscribe button. Also, be sure to share the show with anyone you think might like to listen as well. So this week we watched Fuck This Movie. (laughs) Fuck This Movie. Oh, God. Uh, I don't even want to say the title, but I have to. It is. We watched Santa Claus the Movie, uh, the 1985 Christmas film, and I say film in the biggest of fucking quotation marks. And John, how would you tell someone you watched Santa Claus the Movie without saying the title? I'm sick of Christmas already. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's, yeah, sounds about right. Sounds about right. Right. Well, since uh, Jules is gone, did you by chance have maybe an alternate title? Oh, yeah. I mean, I put about as much effort into this as the movie put into, you know, a plot or stake. Oh, so you didn't. Oh, I zero. Like, I, <laughs> I, I, I added a single character to the title. Uh, it is now called Santa Claus the Movie? Question mark. God, I mentally called that. <laughs> And uh, folks, just so you know, uh, John and I are no longer friends. John suggested this movie. I watched it and I hate him now. I hate him. I fought for us to review this and Nick sent me a text about probably 10 or so minutes in, you know, just complaining. And then it was three hours later, he informed me how much he hated me. So how many breaks did you have to take? So many. I had several (laughs) mental breakdowns. I wept. I drank. Because this movie is only like an hour and a half. It's not much longer than the bare minimum to be a movie okay this movie is so bad i would not wish this on my worst enemy god it's so bad so bad i have a couple compliments for it oh like a couple okay there's maybe there's like one or two but everything else is just like the very atoms that were involved in creating it were disrespected by being involved in this movie. Matter and physics itself lessened by this movie existing. Holy fucking shit, it is so bad. Well, I had a question, but I guess I already have my answer now. Because in The Indian in the Cupboard, you were talking about how a movie has so little stakes it made you miss Homeward Bound. And I was going to see if you would prefer this or Indian in the Cupboard, but I think I already know the answer to that Oh, question. John, 
I would watch The Indian in the Cupboard on repeat <laughs> as a background movie to my life if it meant I never saw this movie again. God, oh this God. is the new low by which I am I'm judging all the other movies that we watch. Wow. Yeah, that wow. is how bad of a time I've had. We, I've, I've been having some bad times on the show recently. We've been watching some real stinkers, but this really lowered the bar. But we have a formula that we got to continue with. So, John, uh, why don't you tell us about your experience growing up with this movie? Oh, I watched the shit out of this as a kid. It didn't even have to be Christmas time we would watch it. We would talk about or even like quote shit when we were at McDonald's. There's a reason for that. We'll get too much later. <laughs> Um, I started to get bored with it probably around 10 or 11, most likely. And I don't think I ever really saw it since then. It, you know, we'd put it on, but I wouldn't really sit down to watch it. And so <laughs> here's something you're not going to fucking believe. The long tracking shots of smiling elves. I remember those being longer and more drawn out than they actually are. They are long and drawn out. I just remember them being that much worse. They were so boring and pointless, they distorted your perception of time. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, this movie's like an hour and 40-ish minutes. It felt like nine hours. <laughs> nine goddamn hours. Well, I mean, the review I read at the end of the last episode for this one, once you're ready for it to be over, the second act starts. <laughs> I mean, I will talk about how, like, the, the first act starts about, like, over an hour into the movie. We'll get there. But, like, yeah. <laughs> the first act? The first act starts about the... an hour into the movie. Because <laughs> we watch some shitty, like, origin story movie, and then the movie starts. <laughs> <laughs> the origin story part is my mom's favorite part. She's not too fond of the second half of the movie. But she absolutely loves the first part. Because it's all about, like, the joy and wonder of the season. And then the second half is materialism and corporate greed. So as like a piece of art about what Christmas is, it works, but it doesn't work as a film because the story is so shit. And there's like, as we discussed earlier, there's no stakes until literally the last 10 minutes of the movie. <laughs> Literally the last 10 minutes of the movie, but also the first part of the movie has some really horrifying existential implications. Yes. About what it means to be Santa Claus. Yes. Okay. I'm glad you picked up on that too, because there's a couple lines in this movie that are really dark, like in the first 10, 15 minutes. Really dark. And also the movie negates its own premise about how Santa Claus got chosen to be Santa. We'll get into it more when that comes up. But yeah, um, they didn't need this guy that they anointed Santa. They didn't need him. By their own rules, did not need this guy. I will explain at the appropriate time. It's never really explained why it's him, but yeah. Okay. So, um... Are we ready to jump into this? Well, you know, just uh, you know, so the folks know my background with the film. Uh, clearly, I had never seen it until uh, somebody who I thought was my friend suggested we uh, watch it for my podcast, and I watched it and resisted every single urge to put myself out of my own misery, and now I hate this person. I still have to make a podcast with him because, you know, we agreed to do this together, but I think way, way less of him as a person and just... Yeah, as, as a creature on this planet, just so... And the so, fact that I fought for this so hard. So hard. I wanted to watch The Santa Claus with Tim Allen. And I said, no, everybody always does that. There's nothing left to say. No one knows about this. No one knows about Patch Patch or Puce 
or the super duper looper, and the world needs to. And that's what we're here to do. Oh my God. I saw flashbacks in Nick's eyes as I was just listing those three things right there. God, I had Vietnam flashbacks. The strings from Platoon started playing in my head. This is. (laughs) And I just finished rewatching this for my second time. Like, I had to do my second watch through in chunks to avoid not going literally insane. Yeah, that was me in Space Jam. Yeah, this was my Space Jam on crack. G.I. Joe was like, we keep hitting new lows. Just G.I. Joe, Homeward Bound, Indian in the Cupboard. Older movies were really fucking shit, apparently. <laughs> so oh, no, the, there were great old movies. Just There were great old movies, but a lot of the ones that we thought were really good, because you clearly kept watching this. Oh, there were a number of movies I watched as a kid that are absolute shit that I loved. Um, Superman 4. Oh. Big fan. God. Uh, formerly okay. big fan. Formerly big fan. Yeah. So who was involved? Like, let's give a little bit of you know the the filmmaking side before we get into the breakdown. Uh, so this had Dudley Moore mm-hmm. as one of the main elves, Patch. Patch uh, yep. For anybody who knows anything about eighties comedies, he was in Arthur, the uh, the movie that was eventually remade by oh, what's his face, Russell Brand. Russell Brand. Yeah, this was the movie he made the original. John Lithgow mm-hmm. was in this, and he is the only watchable part of this movie. Uh, I will elaborate <laughs> that later. He plays the the, the evil toy tycoon. And he then, just chews up the fucking scenery. Oh, he chews it harder than he chews on that fucking cigar that he's always got. Um, to interject a bit, I mean, since it's just us, when we have a guest, we ask them who they'd like to recast. I would actually recast Santa, and I'd put Brian Blessed in there, because then at least we'd have a large hand, like, on both sides. Seeing as how our hero and villain never even meet each other in this movie. They never <laughs> meet each other. And I will elaborate on why this is even crazier for the plot and, like, character motivations, which are inconsistent and come out of nowhere, and then they leave... Like, the, I don't want to, like, downplay bipolar as a disorder because bipolar doesn't work in terms of, like, wild swing manic highs and lows. Like, they vary over weeks and months and whatever. But this movie has bipolar if bipolar took cocaine. Well, they reduce centuries down to mere minutes. I mean, come on. Right, but, like, character motivations, characters, like, moods swing. Like, it's crazy. And by the way, uh, Santa Claus in this movie is played by... David William Huddleston, who viewers might remember as the Big Lebowski mm-hmm. in The Big Lebowski. Not the dude, the other Lebowski. Yeah, the rich one in the wheelchair. Yes, who's having sex with Tara Reid. Mm-hmm. And other than that, there's not really anybody in here that's that big. Like, those are the big names. That's it, really, yeah. That's it. Like, all the child actors in this just never did anything really afterwards. Um, there are probably some, like, British actors who I think, like, popped up in a bunch of like random British yeah the, the guy who's puffy has been in a shitload of stuff like a lot of TV and everything Anthony O'Donnell and if you look at his IMDB page the main photo for him is under very heavy prosthetics and he's some like weird goblin looking creature I don't even know what it was from but like it's not even his face oh I think I saw that he was in Doctor Who he was in one of those like warrior okay. yeah but in this he just looks like Tom Segura so that's what I'm gonna wind up calling him when we get there and uh, this is really sad. The cinematographer, his name was Arthur Ibbotson, 
and he was the cinematographer of the 1971 classic Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory with Gene Wilder. Oh, and no this shit. was his last movie. Aww. This was his last movie. It's such a shame. Uh, See, okay, again, like enormous... cinematography-wise, I think it's quite good. Yeah, I mean, it was shot well. I mean, it definitely felt like it was a 70s movie. My like... nice things to say about it are all about the production design. Really. I like the sets. I like the costumes. That sort of thing, at least in the first half. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's about it. This was written by the same people who wrote Superman the movie. Because it was made by the same people who were involved in that series. Like the yeah. director made like Jaws 2, Supergirl. The, like... um, there's a credit for second unit and flying director. And he was second unit director on Superman as well. Like the people who made Superman made this. Crazy. Ah, well, let's. The sooner we get there, the sooner it'll be done. The sooner we get through this, the sooner it's done, and the sooner I can drink these brain cells out of my brain. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will start breaking down Santa Claus the movie. It's not a movie. (laughs) Anya, this snowstorm is getting really bad. I'm terribly afraid we've gotten ourselves lost. Oh, Claus, we should have waited before going out again. But we need to get these toys to the children. Oh, Claus, look, the reindeer, they're starting to slow down. Oh, no. Come on, Donna. Come on, Blitzen. We have to keep going. Oh, Anya, they've fallen over. I have to go out and give them a pep talk. A pep talk to reindeer in the middle of a blizzard. Oh, I'm not sure that would help. Oh, it's the only way, my love. Now, come on, boys. Just over that hill is warm food and cozy shelter to rest in. But if you lie down here, you'll fucking die. So get up and pull this sleigh. Okay, you know what? No, I am so sick of that. My goodness, the reindeer can talk? Uh, you're damn right, we can and honestly, Claus, we're just really sick of your shit, okay? We pull you and your wife all over the place, and all you do is just yell at us to go faster, daughter, go faster, Blitzen. And you know what? How about you pull the damn sleigh if you think we're so slow, okay? Yeah, and we really don't appreciate how you risk our lives in the middle of this fucking snowstorm to deliver your shitty-ass woodcarved toys that nobody even wants. So what? You could be like Mr. Big Shot in this poor-ass pseudo-European village place? Like, where even are we? Oh my god. Yeah, and by the way, store-bought toys. That's what the kids want. Store-bought toys. And you know what? You don't even give them out to be altruistic or like a nice guy. You're just a big old narcissist who gets off on the attention. Mr. Narcissist Hans. I know, seriously. And another, whoa, whoa, whoa. That is one big knife. Well, if you're not going to pull me and the missus to safety, then I'm going to cut you both open and we can slide inside your corpses and survive on the heat from your innards. Oh, that's gonna hurt. You know what? I think we can keep going. Don't you think we can keep going, Blitzen? Yeah, let's let's, let's keep going. Yeah, I'm not really up for this whole disembowelment thing. Ah, it's kind of grody. Oh, 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 that's what I thought. These are some catty-ass reindeer. I know! (laughs) (laughs) And we're back. 
I don't know about you, John, but I watched this on Peacock, the free version, and the studio logo I got was the modern Studio Canal logo. Yeah, I did an online rental. It was Studio Canal as well. That had to have been for the reissue, because mine specifically said it was a 25th anniversary edition. This was originally TriStar. Right, and TriStar was embarrassed to have this movie in its library, and it got rid of it. (laughs) And good on you, TriStar, for having that level of self-respect. I applaud you. Uh, And then we start off with some really cheesy Christmas music and some fake stars. We linger on them way too long. I don't remember how the song goes, but when I was listening to it, I could totally imagine my mom singing. Like, she loves this kind of crap. Hi, Mom. I just called it crap. She's, like, eagerly anticipating (laughs) this. This episode? Yes. Oh, cool. Hi, John's mom. I think his movie's terrible, (laughs) and you're going to just have to listen to me shit on it. And then we find ourselves listening to an old lady telling a story in feudal England. But then he's got reindeer, so are they in, like, feudal Norway? Because, like, reindeer are only really native to Scandinavia slash Russia. I I don't know. I'm calling it feudal England. We don't know where this is. I'm just curious, does this whole village just spend Christmas in the meeting lodge? Or is this sort of like the Every Sperm is Sacred house from Monty Python and the Meaning of Life? This is the Every Sperm is Sacred house. Yeah, this is like one family unit in this one roomed house. Because there's like 20 kids. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Dead of winter with the fakest snow i have ever seen it's amazing it's like packing peanuts put through a paper shredder like it is just the fakest shit movie magic baby god like soap flakes would have been less fake than this movie magic but this 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 vo we're hearing with this old lady is describing the north pole with the elves but she calls them wendy gum vendigum 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 or I'm going to mispronounce it. It doesn't matter because apparently that's hate speech. So Yeah, apparently that's hate speech. We'll we'll get into it. Apparently on one night of the year, that's clearly Christmas, the ice in the North Pole, they don't call it the North Pole, they call it like whatever magical land. Like I did not learn the details of the story. This story honestly doesn't matter. We can just skip it. (laughs) Yeah. Tells us basically about like talking about Santa Claus or like the the elves. Well, no, they're just talking about the elves because there is no Santa Claus yet. Right. Talking about the elves in the North Pole, but like it's some allegorical story. And this one kid's like, ah, she told the same fucking story last year. Yeah. And I have, it's called tradition, you little brat. Fuck folklore, fuck traditional culture, disposable culture for the win. Like you do really well in the TikTok era. This kid was. Yeah. He's just sitting over, uh, uh, staring out the window, just like, Ugh. Oh, puberty it's... just hit this kid. Yeah, even though he's like nine. <laughs> <laughs> so the adults are talking about how someone isn't going to be able to make it this year because of the snowstorm going on outside. But the little boy sees whoever the hell they're talking about and they all get very excited. And I get that feudal Europe was boring as fuck. But does everybody have to rush outside in the middle of a snowstorm to greet someone who's like arriving on a sleigh? When it's Uncle Claus. Yes. His name is Claus. He's not Nicholas, not Nick, nothing like that. Nope. His name is Claus. Just Claus. And also like it's but it's also his last name because like clearly like the lady's Mrs. Claus and Is I, she ever referred to as Mrs. I don't think she's ever referred to as Mrs. Claus though. I think she's just called Anya or Yeah, whatever. she has a name, but I don't think you ever get Mrs. Claus specifically. 
Right. So whatever, Claus. Yeah, his name's Claus. It's it's Uncle Claus, and he makes the toys, and apparently he also chops wood for the entire village. Yeah, he's a woodcutter slash wood carver. Like, he carves all the toys himself, and he brings his sack full of goodies in for all the kids, and he won't give them any toys until they all say happy Christmas in unison because his generosity is conditional. We we established that right nice and early. One of the little touches I love, because I had the subtitles on during this, and it's like the Hulu or Amazon or whatever I watched on their subtitles, so they're not really official. Right. So they're talking about how does he, you know, find the time or whatever to chop wood and make toys and do all this stuff and just be such a gosh darn nice person. And Anya's like, oh, he makes time. It gives him pleasure. The way she said this was very uncomfortable. Well, what made it even more uncomfortable was he goes and talks to little Elsa to give her a toy, like, immediately after this, except the subtitles say little else. So they're talking like, this is what gives him pleasure. And Santa goes, little else. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, have, I have nothing else in my life. <laughs> uh, he's got serious marriage issues. Uh, so he gives the kids the toys. And, and they got to go, man. They got to split. Yeah, they got to go. They got to give like toys to all the other houses. And it's like, hey, it's like super windy and stormy out there. Like, don't, um, you know, don't you want to wait? Yeah, don't. Just don't. Yeah, don't. That's stupid. And he's like, no, I gotta do it. The children need me on the other side of the forest. Yes. We get a good like look at the reindeer during all this. And God, if I were to make a sock puppet and put two sticks through the sock to make antlers, oh, hell no. it would look so much more real than these oh, fucking overstuffed no. goddamn teddy bears. They are. No. The antlers are shit. The rest of it's good. Uh, I'm going to disagree with you on that one but we learn that they are donner and blitzen huh uh, so we watch the sleigh with donner and blitzen going through the forest with the worst overlay snow oh, it's effect. so bad it's so, so bad, bad. And they get lost, and the reindeer well, give up. They don't get lost. They're on the trail. It's just too bad of a blizzard that, yeah. So they stop, and the reindeer give up. They, like, plop down onto the ground. And my note here is I would give so much money to watch Mr. and Mrs. Claus open up these reindeer and use them as tauntauns to keep warm. I have a theory that they actually die in this snowstorm. Unfortunately, uh, the second half of the movie happens because aside from that, this holds true. Oh, and the rest of the movie is just like the rest of the movie is their freezing oxygen deprived brain trying to make sense of shit for the first half of the movie that follows. But to preface that, you know, I mean, Santa's up there. Come on, boys, you can do it. And by the way, male reindeer lose their antlers in the winter so all of santa's reindeers are female and you need to stop misgendering them claws oh shit yeah because he refers to them as his boys and yeah. come on men and well everyone wow. does everyone yeah, does he... when patch is taking care of them later and all that yeah good boys anyway wow. uh this comes our very first really dark line in this wonderful whimsical holiday movie and you're not even seven minutes in where santa's telling the reindeer that you know hey just over there we got warm beds and da 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 but here is where you freeze to death. And then Anya freaks out because she's too cold and he runs back and they fall asleep, supposedly. I'm saying they die. Yeah, I say they die. And the movie, I, you know, ended after eight minutes and Nick didn't have to watch the rest of this bullshit. Ah, <laughs> uh, God, if only. While they're dying, you can see the, like, lights in the window of the house they just left. And so it's clear they traveled a total of 50 meters. <laughs> that house is way too fucking close. <laughs> like, they just got started and now they're dead. Yeah, don't go out in snowstorms, folks. Just don't do it. 
but they don't die of exposure. Uh, instead, they find themselves being woken up by this insanely bright star, and for some reason, they're in the Arctic. One of the reindeer wakes everybody up because of this bright thing, and then all of a sudden, they're surrounded by short dudes in colorful outfits who are smiling creepily. Yep. I've seen this porno. <laughs> I've seen this horror film. I've seen this horror porno. <laughs> Ooh. Anyways, um, look, this is the first of many instances of where this movie is trying to use behavior that works well in animation, but is just fucking creepy in live action. Such as? Okay. So they come around, they're all smiling and gleeful and blah, blah, blah. And these are the elves. They are played by fully grown adults. Mm -hmm. They didn't get little people to play the elves because I think that would have been a little on the nose. They didn't do like any forced perspective or try to do anything like that to make them seem really tiny. They're just kind of short. I mean, maybe Santa stands on an apple box, you know, or something like that. Right. At most. But, yeah, but, but that's what I'm saying. They just got really short, fully grown adults to play the elves. And so when they behave like twee elves, it's really fucking disturbing. It's the magic of the season. No! <laughs> Grown-ass adults don't behave like that. They don't look like they didn't alter the ears. No, they didn't. There's nothing that would denote them as elves if you just gave them different clothing and got rid of their blush they have amazingly rosy cheeks <laughs> they have amazingly rosy cheeks but also like they're wearing like just random polka dot like brightly colored polka dot shirts like there's nothing particularly Christmassy about like it's just all very multicolored like it's nothing like you would normally see of a depiction of, el of like Santa's elves slash Santa's village yeah, so their behavior, so like when you watch, you know, claymation or animated Christmas movies, you know, those elves are all smiling and bouncing and da 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 and they're all, you know, way smaller relative to Santa, and they don't look like real people, they look like, you know, this fictionalized creature. Like, there's something appropriate about that insanely happy, bouncy behavior. Transfer that to fully grown adults, it's just fucking weird, man. It's whimsy. Uh, you and I have very different definitions of whimsy, but anyways. I'm uh, more of just playing devil's advocate, really. Or just the devil. You're just the devil right now. <laughs> Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus are like, holy shit, it's, it's the Wendy gum and the, the main elf. Who like, we will whoa, later... we prefer elves. All right. Yeah, get woke. <laughs> yeah, seriously. And so the, the older elf, his name's Dooley, introduces himself and it's like, where are we? home well that doesn't answer the fucking question dude yeah this is really cultish yeah very cultish you wake up to a whole bunch of smiling short people in very vibrant clothing who welcome you home yeah like this is again this is the start of a horror movie <laughs> and also you're literally telling these people that they live there now not giving them a choice by the way they get no choice into anything that happens to them this claus guy becoming santa claus is entirely without his consent essentially yes <laughs> and uh, you know while they're discussing the terms of the clause's surrender <laughs> dudley moore who's uh plays this elf called patch he's investigating this slave and he is talking some shit talking about some it. shit about it because you know he's the tech guy who likes machines and that's gonna pay off later and so without putting up any real fight they follow the elves back to the village that like magically appears in front of them and ah, oh, this line Dooley, the older elf who's kind of like the main elf he's like lead and follow follow and lead 
speed. Oh, yeah. You get a bunch of this, like, flip and repeat throughout the movie. This is the first of many. Lead and follow, follow and leave. We weren't expecting someone so young and pretty, pretty and young. Uh, the reindeer have snorts and whinnies, whinnies and snorts. Does, uh, we also get our first elf pun, which is any phrase that has the word self in it and you drop the S. So you get some elf confidence, elf esteem, blah, blah, blah. And so Yeah, forth. Patch does a lot of these and they are all terrible. They're all they terrible. They're really so bad. bad. The writer really thought he was clever. Also doesn't understand the fundamentals of like storytelling. It's a whole thing. But they did Superman, so they do understand. Anyway. Didn't fucking transfer those skills to this goddamn movie, that's for sure. We, we go to Santa's workshop, we get a protracted look around, it's like all wood and... Again, I like the production design, I like the look of this, and I am impressed by the restraint they used on not slapping paint over every goddamn surface. The elves have tons of colorful clothing, and there are certain things like the clock or, you know, certain objects that are brightly painted, but most of it's just unfinished wood. It's not even stained or lacquered or anything. It's just plain wood, but very well crafted and shaped. Fair enough. And it makes everything else just kind of pop and stick out more. I mean, if everything was brightly colored, you know, then the elves are getting lost in the picture. You can't see where anyone is, that kind of shit. It's... It works really well. Fine, I'll give it that. But it's kind of negated by the fact that we see a lot more excited elves looking at the clauses with their creepy-ass smiles. Yes, but that's because the prophecy is coming true. This is not a cult. And, yeah, so they're giving him a tour of this place, yeah. And we get a glance of the elves' sleeping quarters, which are communal for reasons. Oh, I got something to say about that when their day oh, starts. Oh, I have right. a lot to say about that, too. It's probably the same thing. Uh, so Patch tells him, you know, he's got this idea of heating it with pipes, and nobody knows what pipes are because it's feudal times, but, you know, he's the tech guy. We meet not Tom Segura during this, where he tries to just come up and introduce himself and say hi, and this is the beginning of the rivalry that lasts, you know, for the first half of the movie this is our main source of conflict is Dudley Moore just like shuts him down oh yeah he, he comes walking up and he's like hey it's an honor to me and Dudley Moore's just like puffy dude they're here for the tour good just quit wasting time yeah just fuck off just just shuts him down yeah yeah Patch is kind of a dick and then takes him to the toy warehouse and this is supposedly a triumphant moment okay this gets back to the they're dead theory they're like oh check out what we fucking got for you and his biggest joy his sense of you know pleasure was the toys for the children right. and making and delivering him and then this warehouse quote unquote is a single aisle full of toys the only thing that brings him pleasure with a bright light at the end very true this is literally his heavenly passage very true because this this warehouse full of toys <laughs> is where they store the toys but it's also the launch bay from which they launch the sleigh Right, but still, in this moment, you don't know You that. don't know that, yeah. No, absolutely. I totally agree. Uh, but yeah, the music thinks this is a triumphant moment. He asks what the, the elves what the toys are for. They say it's for the Christmas toys, and you're going to give them to your children. And they're like, we don't have kids. Yeah. <laughs> also, by the way, this you know we don't have kids. And also, he's like, you know, you're going to give these to all the ki toys to all the kids in the world. And he's like, yeah, man, I'm not going to live long enough to do that. Oh no, no, no! You're going to live forever. You're going to live forever. This is now your job, forever. Don't give somebody immortality without their <laughs> consent. That's fucked up. That's so fucked up. That's a curse if you're not down for it. <sighs> But the existential consent implications don't end there. We're about to come. Mm. 
Oh, yeah. So behind closed doors, we hear the clauses talking about how they can't sleep. My note here is, are we about to hear Santa and Mrs. Claus fuck? I feel like this conversation leads to them fucking. But no, he gets up to go for He gets a to go for, for, for And by the way, this is like a cubby in the wall that they are sleeping in. Comically small relative to the size of them. It's basically like there was this giant room. And then to go to the bed, you had to enter Bilbo Baggins's Hobbit Hall. Well described. It's this round door. That you have to go up a few little steps into. Ridiculous. <sighs> so Santa just kind of intuits walking down the hallway to where they keep the reindeer. Uh, that Patch is there. I think he hears Patch. Because Patch is trying to get Donner to eat. Because Donner's scared. I kind of like this. They, I mean, it doesn't pay off really in any way except that Donner's a coward. But in this one brief scene, each reindeer gets a personality. You're right. They each get a personality. None of it matters, like you said, except for Donner being a coward. And Patch apparently sleeps here with the reindeer. This is his room. He likes to sleep in a pile of reindeer shit and feed them alfalfa sprouts. That's uh, apparently what reindeers eat. And then he just keeps teasing Santa, where he's like, oh, wait, wait till this happens. Well, what do you mean? Oh, you'll You'll see. see. Oh, and this place seems awesome, but then Season's Greetings. Oh, what's Season's Greetings? You'll see. They'll never explain Season's Greetings. They really don't. Even when it happens, I don't understand it. I never have. But yeah, so he's like, you know, why do you need all the reindeer? You'll see. Yeah, like even why do we need reindeer? (laughs) You could just say, yeah, they pull the sleigh that you're going to fly around It's like you're going to deliver the toys. You need them to pull the sleigh. You Ah, anyway. Anyways, before he does this... He tells Santa, before he does the, the, you know, you'll see, he tells, you know, Santa that he's an inventor. Uh, He has an idea for an alarm clock. Pin in that, by the fucking way. I'll say in like 10 more seconds here. 10 more (laughs) seconds. Put a fucking pin. He's also invented a plate that whistles when your food is too hot. Which, you know, I mean, it seems like a tea kettle sort of thing where you would have the steam come up and that sounds a whistle. Except it whistles because he blows down the straw thing it doesn't make sense. yes it doesn't makes make no sense. goddamn sense like most of this movie makes no goddamn sense <laughs> okay so that's Pat. it makes sense it's just boring yeah cut to the next day and patch apparently didn't even need to invent an alarm clock because they already have one well, it they have wakes a up cuckoo the- clock now i like to think this happens every fucking hour <laughs> and that's the main difference my question here is, do they have hot bunking like they do on submarines? Because at the edge of each of their beds, they have these like rolling blocks with their names on it. So they, they get. Yes. When you get out of bed, you turn it to the next name. Like hot bunking on a submarine. Do they have a 24 hour? No, everyone gets up at the same time. Everyone goes to work at the same time. Yeah. And the, the music, they really wanted to start playing hi-ho from Snow White. I like Dwar- this music. I really do. It was fine it's, it's jolly and bouncy and it's it's perfect for the mood it's henry mancini damn it i mean he's written some classics none of them are in this movie but you know pink panther theme peter gunn okay fine but then we get the elves making toys and they're just kind of bouncing and smiling they're and doing it all to the yeah to the rhythm everything's happening to the rhythm of the music as well yeah behavior that if you're watching an animated movie or claymation makes fucking sense because those are tropes that we understand from these media whimsy not grown-ass <laughs> men in a fucking live-action movie it's crazy it's whimsy. so crazy Whimsy. No, it's not whimsy. It's bad, John. It's the joy and magic of the season, damn it. No, it's a grown-ass <laughs> adults. It's not appropriate. 
Stupid. Uh, so in the middle of this, Mrs. Claus is supervising uh, the tailor who's making the Santa suit, and it's green, and she's like, yeah, it's just not his color, and Puffy suggests brown. God damn it, not Tom Segura. Who suggests brown? I mean, I know he showed up wearing furs, but god damn. Yeah, and then Patch suggests red, and Mrs. Claus likes that because it'll match Santa's cheeks. Aw. Oh, and by the way, um, Santa wears an extra large? Because the tailor's like, I've never had to do an extra large before. Yep. This guy's at least triple X. Come on. Yeah, at least triple X, but also not the first time we're going to fat shape Santa in this movie. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. I still remember that scene from being a kid. I can't wait. So, yeah, it's still more day in the life. Elves are making toys. There's this giant cauldron of, I guess, stew. And Mrs. Claus takes a taste and then is like, uh-uh. This needs some seasoning, which she adds to the ladle? Yeah, to the ladle. Not to the <laughs> stew, to the ladle. Fucking madness, this movie. So, yeah, that's some, there's some weird shit in this montage. I mean, again, it's a happy, bouncy music, but you still catch these things and make it, wait, what? And then we get bouncy elves uh, churning out Disney animated pixie dust. They start drugging the reindeer food, the alfalfa sprouts. Yeah, like they're mining this Disney animated pixie dust because this movie really wanted to be a fucking Disney movie. There's a lot like, of sparkles in this movie. A lot of sparkles. A lot sparkles. of goddamn sparkles. And they even show how wrapping paper is made. They have these giant sheets of colored paper and they blow glitter at it and then it sticks in like stars and ornament patterns and shit like that and snowflake patterns. Yep. Reindeer get groomed to the beat and like the presents are getting loaded into the sack. And now the toy making stops because it's time to stargaze. Dooley is like in this weird. It's a telescope like you get in an observatory, but it's all wood. No idea if there's even lenses in the thing. Yes. And he's counting down to season's greetings, which is apparently the only time they ever see the sun. Apparently. Because a hole opens in the roof and light streams in and everyone's just happy as shit. And that is season's greetings. And they start dancing around. But he's like waiting for it. And he yells now. And that's when they all look up because there's no way they could have just looked up at any time when the light started beaming in. Right. There's no point. There's nothing (laughs) they need to do after he yells now. There's nothing that requires timing and there's nothing that requires a countdown no they can just be like oh hey it's time to open the roof because in 30 seconds we get sunlight in the middle of winter in the arctic don't you know whatever yeah (laughs) so snow starts falling through the elves get really happy with this bright star flash and then they start dancing in a circle and my note here is did i just have a stroke what the fuck is this scene (laughs) it's season's greetings it's season i you have seen you have seen (laughs) I have seen, and I stroked out because I didn't know what the fuck I was watching. (laughs) So Santa is now in his red suit, and um, he's practicing flying in a chair. Yeah. While saying compass directions out loud, like then southwest, then north. Like, this means nothing, because when you're flying, you're not going to be making such rapid course corrections. You're not flying a helicopter through a major metropolitan area. You're flying either from house to house where you can see the house, or if you're flying between cities and towns, you're going to have a general bearing. Like, this gets even more confusing, because as we'll learn in the moment, at this point, he doesn't know he's going to be flying. No. (laughs) No. They tell him after this scene. That's so true. So what the hell is this? I don't know. 
Now, that said, I do like the use of the mirror in this scene. It's actually a really well-constructed shot because Anya comes in and you see like the back of her, but there's a mirror next to him, so you see her. And it's just, I, just the blocking, the blocking, the production design. I really like that. The rest of the scene makes no damn sense because she's like, I'm so proud of you. He hasn't done anything. No, he hasn't done she anything. She helped with the stew. She helped with the costume design. All the elves did the same damn thing they've been doing for however long they've been making these toys and painting them. But he's the protagonist, so that's why. Oh, and we totally skipped over it. They used their beards to paint the toys. I missed that. That your thing makes sense from earlier. They've got these long-ass beards that are braided, and they use the tips, they paint, they dip them in the paint, and use them to paint the toys. My brain refused to encode that. And there's some elves that don't have beards and they use other people's. They use braids off of someone else because a dude gets interrupted because his head gets yanked. God damn this movie. That's why you looked at me so bewildered when you said My that, brain man. refused to encode it. <laughs> wow. So much of this movie was my brain like, nope, I'm not going to remember this. Nope. Nope. I refuse. <laughs> this is fucking stupid. This is fucking stupid. This whole movie's fu- Nope. I'm not going to remember this shit. Fuck you, Nick. That was my brain the entire time I watched this movie. <laughs> Yeah, so basically comes in, says he's proud of him, says he looks good in the suit, and then Dooley comes in and tells him that everyone's waiting for him. That's the fucking scene. And then we get another super long elves just staring and smiling and talking about how great Santa looks. This was the most ridiculously homoerotic part of the movie. Just all these grown-ass men talking about how awesome Santa looks, as if he's like the the bell to the ball. Well, I gotta say, I love this Santa suit. There's something I, again, I never noticed before as a kid, but I did now. Every Santa suit has that big white fur stripe down the front that's just there. Right. This doesn't. Hmm. This is... A coat. It is a fur-lined coat that buttons closed, and then it's extra fur sticking out where they overlap. I'll take your word for it, because again, my brain refused to remember that. <laughs> again, the production design is really good. It's really awesome. He's got the classic, you know, sort of Santa getup and the big cloak over it that some Santas have, some Santas don't. And uh, this one just looks fucking amazing. It's really good. Well, speaking of white fur, uh, now we get the oldest elf... Yes, character name in the credits is actually Ancient Elf. Yeah, Ancient Elf. And this is the only time you see him, and it's Burgess fucking Meredith! I don't know who that is. Uh, (gasps) I ref... Oh, oh, yeah. What episode was that we established that you don't know Adam West Batman? Anyway, he played the Penguin in that series. Oh, cool. Good for him. Yeah. Uh, Now he's in this piece of shit, so now I'm judging him based (laughs) on that. Um, Amazing. uh, He has got the most amazing beard you've ever seen comes in on a procession and all the elves are like taking their hats off because like he's the 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 one that they all respect he's the senior whatever but his beard is so long that the guys in his procession have to wrap the beard around their hands to stop it from dragging on the ground and there's five elves on each side and it gets braided once it gets to the first guy like it's braided even so that shortens it he wraps it around his hand a shitload of times, and that goes over his shoulder, and then you know, onto the next person, the next person, the next person, and then the folks at the end have it like draped back and forth their, over their shoulders like three or four more goddamn times. This thing is amazing, insanely long beard. And like I said, the elves take off their hats, and there's hushed tones. And Mrs. Claus tries to kneel like he's the queen, but Patch like pulls her up, and he's like, no, 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 he's not that big a fucking deal. Also, by the way, the reindeer fucking bow as well. Yes. 
Yes, they do. The reindeer, the reindeer lower their heads in reverence. So the ancient elf explains to Santa that he is there to fulfill a prophecy. Uh, they were waiting for someone to come who didn't have any kids. But loved kids. Loved kids. Was an artisan and a craftsman. Skills he has not used since he's been there. That he's, yeah, definitely not. Or will, like, he will use once in the movie, by the way. Yep, only one more one time. One more time after this. Um, and I forget the other things um love to give like like whatever all the shit numbers like again this was a scene that i remember feeling even longer than it does because this this just goes this drags on but here's the thing i want to say because he gives like you know we're waiting for someone who fits all these criteria and i'm like oh so literally every fucking elf in your workshop fits this criteria you didn't have to wait for you could just give it like hey frank you're santa claus you're an artisan and you don't have kids well you're santa frank because his name's already claus so right now you're santa frank yeah he gets bestowed with the title of santa as if it means something right but again any elf fits these criteria of the prophecy all the elves fit this criteria (laughs) any elf could have been santa waiting for some random dude from feudal Europe was fucking pointless. <laughs> it's prophecy. Those prophecies stupid. To quote the Dark Crystal, prophets don't know everything. <laughs> so Santa is still learning and being given information about what his job is. As he's about to fly off. Yeah, as he's about to take off for the very first time, because it's like now you have to deliver these toys to all the children of the world and he's like how the hell am i supposed to deliver these toys in one night and this is where we get another um really dark line this line burgess meredith says the night of the world is a passage of endless night for you until your mission is done that is some metal shit right there that sounded like a that is fucking it's a threat it's a threat it's absolutely a threat It's said in the most gentle, kindest way possible, but my God. Okay, so here's the thing. This is fucking crazy, because if you think of the implications of this, the night lasts as long as it needs to for him to deliver all the toys he needs to to all the kids around the world. Yep. In order to do that, like, let's say he could fly around and do this and do all the toys, and, like, for him, time is distorted, so for us, it's one night, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, whatever. For him, for one night a year, he would live in a night for several years. (laughs) that's fucking dark you have to live an extra several years of life in total blackness away from like your loved ones until your mission is done that's fucked and again he is given this task without his consent i know it's so fucking dark if you think about it so we never see this guy again uh ancient elf nope. and by the way this is all information that Dooley could have delivered we didn't need this fucking guy <laughs> stupid because Dooley's been like introducing him to all this shit anyway he could have just kept doing that job uh needed to pad the fucking runtime apparently and now a bunch of elves prance out with bowls of alfalfa spiked with disney magic yep and they feed them to the reindeer and uh <laughs> We see this power up the reindeer. Yep. And the reindeer make a face, which is either them taking a violent shit or having a violent orgasm face. It is either or. Yeah, I can't really tell. They they definitely get the shivers going. And they're like... <laughs> yes, exactly what they That's like. the sound they make. The eyes bulge like... Yeah, it's... <laughs> 
it is yeah like i said they're either taking a violent shit or they're just like having a giant orgasm right there it is either or both i, I don't know maybe they're not mutually exclusive <laughs> just a nice a nice shit wow. <laughs> this is a face we will see multiple times on the reindeer throughout the film but this is it at its like most so santa takes off to elves cheering and throwing their hats and dancing around as he flies out and this is where Donner realizes that he's scared and Santa realizes that he's flying and uh, whatever. Cue montage of Santa doing Santa stuff throughout multiple centuries. This montage is in two parts and I really like the first part. It's a really cheap way to go about doing this. You see the passage of time with an hourglass that has markings on it denoting centuries. Yes. Which brings up a whole host of questions like um, what happens when you flip it over or the sand runs out? pass don't care (laughs) okay all right it's just like the end of existence or something maybe sure so that's how you get passage through time you get shots of just santa flying in the night sky yep they didn't do like any sets or anything of him going to different countries or entering different homes and especially over different time periods it was a great way to save money and every once in a while children will fade in and out playing with toys there's this instrumental medley playing of traditional christmas songs and it changes you know each century basically it's really nice. The visuals of Santa flying are every Christmas card ever. Like, it's perfect. It's perfect imagery. And then we get to the 18th century, which is apparently the very first time there was ever a naughty child. But after this, I mean, we want to hit on that in a moment. Right. But after this, the montage continues, and it's an original song called Thank You, Santa. Okay. I Again, my brain refused to remember this. It's all these children singing, and... I want to isolate the vocal track when I get like lottery money and buy an abandoned house that kids go into like to get high and drink and set up motion sensors. And... <laughs> <laughs> well, now we have like ring, that sort of thing. So I can like hit in camera, I'll get an alert, you know, that says the motion sensors are tripped and I'll wait until they've gotten a little bit fucked up and I'll hit play and this song starts playing because this is some abandoned orphanage type shit. Oh, oh my God. This great song. Prank. Thank you, Santa. I hate it. I hate this song with a passion. I never liked it. It sucks. So yeah, so we start off the montage. He's delivering toys to all the good white girls and boys. He starts off with the white kids, you know, gotta. And then they notice that they're getting more letters as more kids learn how to read and write through the centuries. Mm-hmm. So apparently if you weren't able to write a letter to Santa, you could go fuck yourself. Pretty much. <laughs> this is where we start getting an insight into the classes of Santa because it's only for the literate. If you can Only if you can afford an education will he bring you toys. Well, he's not telepathic. I mean, come on. Yeah, well... Okay, so anyway, mid-montage... We get to the 18th century. Yeah, we get a scene of this kid committing animal abuse against a cat. Yeah. Tells his sister to just shut the hell up and go away. So she writes a letter to Santa complaining. A letter to Santa complaining about this. Right. By the way, this letter does a reverse Hogwarts acceptance letter because she writes it and then it magically goes up the chimney as opposed to coming down the chimney. Well, it comes down the chimney in the workshop. Well, it comes down the chimney in the workshop, but like for her, from her perspective, it does a reverse Hogwarts. Okay. Mrs. Claus reads the letter and like, it's like, you know, you shouldn't be giving toys to, to naughty kids. And Santa's like, well, no, I should give it to all kids. And like, it's not fair. And basically like Mrs. Claus nags Santa into creating the naughty list. But it's not even that much nagging. She's like, wait, hold on. If kids aren't behaving properly, they just shouldn't get any sort of reward at all. It took several centuries 
I, oh, I know. <laughs> That's is what I'm saying. Like, it took several centuries for there to be one bad kid, or at least for Santa to figure out that kids can be brats. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, I mean, you surely saw that when you lived back in feudal Europe. Who the fuck knows? But yeah. So anyway, this is where we get the origin story of the naughty and nice list. He tells Dooley to write it, and, and oh, be careful! I'll be checking you twice. So it's all in there. My note here is we're 35 minutes into this movie, and there's yet to be an actual plot or stakes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the second half of the montage happens, and it's... Santa discovers that there's also black kids and uh, Asian kids. He, he discovers yeah. that there's more than white kids. So they, you know, they, they do get their presents, but they got to wait a few centuries. A nice touch that obviously you wouldn't have seen because you didn't even notice the creepy children singing. As time passes, the toys change. Do they? Yeah. Early on, there was one kid that got an abacus. Okay. <laughs> but then like, you'd have horses, a soldier, a windmill. And by the time we get to the 20th century, the toys, I mean, they're still all made out of wood, but it's cars and airplanes and, and such. So they do change and grow over time. Interesting. Again, production design is nice. Nothing else. <laughs> uh, so fun fact about my childhood the first year or two that I went to school in South Africa, the required supplies included an abacus. Never learned how to use it. I don't know why the fuck they required us to have an abacus. <laughs> I had an abacus. That was one of the things, because like people would say, like you know, if, it, if it's an older way of doing it, it's like, oh, let me write this. And it's like, oh, we'll just get an abacus. Like, I have no idea how those things are supposed to work. But apparently you can do calculus on them. I, oh, I I'm sure you can. But here, again, like I said, no, I was a required school supply that I was never taught how to use. That was like we were required to have um, a compass, like the ones for making circles, you know, right. not, not directions, um, and a protractor. Never Never used them. Oh, we use those all the time in, in my high school. Yeah, the, that was required for us, and we got good use out of them. That was required for me in, like, third grade. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, we never used them. Anyway. So anyways, we also see that Santa magicking up and down the chimney, so we know how that works. And this is where Santa's fat shaming really Yeah, because Dooley is reading out this brand new poem about Santa called Twas the Night Before Christmas. I'm that's sure not its title. What is it called? It's A Visit from St. Nicholas. Oh, well, excuse me, princess. <laughs> but anyways, he's reading it. You know, it's the, it's the one that goes, "'Twas the night before Christmas and all through the Yeah, house. you know it. And it gets to... The, it's, you know, with his belly <laughs> that... Shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly and says like, whoa, whoa, wait, what? The fuck are they saying about me? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, is that how they think I look? I'm like, dude, you've looked like this the whole time. The whole movie. The whole time. <laughs> You've got Santa Bob. And there's a lot of this, again, I remember it as a kid, but there's one bit that I didn't, that I never picked up on. So Mrs. Claus, like, she starts to be nice and then just drops the facade altogether. Yeah, he's like, it's the cookies. Like She's he like, uh, the cookies. And all the elves are like, yeah, the cookies, the cookies. And they're kind of murmuring it like, yeah, sorry, hate to tell you. What I did not remember from my childhood is that Dudley Moore and his little entourage start snickering. What an asshole. Yeah, they're like, yeah, the cookies, the cookies. <laughs> wow. Again, yeah. I, I just watched this movie again these past few days. My brain refused to encode that because <laughs> it, it it physically re tried to reject this movie in its entirety. See, I know this movie so well, I can tune into the details now because I'm so familiar with the rest of it. Fantastic. But glad you're here. Also, fuck you again for making me watch this movie. <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, moving on, because then can't, we, we, we see Santa angrily eating carrot stew because he's on a diet. He is not eating carrot stew. <laughs> or leek stew. He or has, no, it's, there's no fluid. It's it's this bowl, oh. and I like to think 
I like to think that this was his entire meal. So there's these long carrot sticks, and then I don't know what the white ones are supposed to be. It looks like white celery with an olive where they meet so they make like an x or a plus or whatever and then there's a couple pieces of broccoli underneath in the bowl and that's it like that's his whole meal i guess he's very grumpy about this he's yeah he's really upset by the way folks the montage took a break the music stopped (laughs) these were just regular scenes and now we're back in the montage the montage you know got a snack took a drink you know went to the bathroom (laughs) and now it's back yeah but it's pretty much over because we're we're now getting into the 20th century i And Santa's just got too much of a workload now. It's just too busy. He's overworked. I don't know what he does, but he's overworked. He's over. Yeah. What the fuck is he doing? Like this turnkey operation that the elves just kept working on. What the, yeah. What the, he works one night of the year. Like it, like after like, you know, doing three to five years of work in one night, taking a year off might not be enough time to rest and recuperate from (laughs) your night of work. But what the fuck do you do otherwise? Yeah. And by the way, we're in the 20th century and all the toys are still just made out of wood and paint. Yeah. By the way, all the toys get stamped where it says elf made. Yeah. All of those toys got donated really? for like orphanages, foster care, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, that's nice of the production. Which is always sort of like, a, oh, it was not. Uh, again, this is my mom. Um, how that was a nice, sweet thing to do, but she really wanted to have some to keep. <laughs> Again, she loves this. She, she absolutely loves this. Thing. I, uh, John's mom, please, please watch some other movies. There's, if we've made some really good ones before and since, like, like you can do better, John's mom. You can do better. I promise. I believe in you. She just loves Christmas. It's Christmas whimsy. is great. This is like I love Christmas too. I I fucking love me some Christmas. It's the only holiday my family like we because we grew up in South Africa. We didn't celebrate Fourth of July. We didn't celebrate Thanksgiving. Halloween wasn't a thing. Christmas was our jam. It still is our jam. Love me some Christmas. Hate me this fucking movie. Okay, so we find out that Patch has invented the snow globe. Now that we're in the twentieth century, yeah, and this is also when like. Mrs. Claus suggests that Santa get a, an assistant because he's almost falling asleep in his bowl of soup. Oh, yeah. Like, he just got back and duly starting to go over lists for next year. And she's like, he just got home. Jesus, man. You know? Yeah. He just, like, lived five years in the span of a night. Like, maybe chill the fuck out a bit. But no, this is something that made me go down a little internet rabbit hole. Uh, there's a company in Austria that claims to be the original, like, snow globes as we know them now. And that started in 1900, but there have been a few like in France and stuff a few decades before. So Patch is behind the times with his inventions. He's like, I just invented this thing. Humans have had it for 30 years. Yes. (laughs) So dumb. So dumb, this movie. (laughs) So dissolved to New York, that's definitely not England. Yeah, they mentioned needing assistant and then they leave that for now. Yeah, pause on that. We'll deal with that later because now we're in New York City. That's definitely not England where they filmed this movie. Shut up. We see a street Santa, kind of like the Salvation Army ones, but it's not the Salvation Army, ringing a bell, taking donations. Pocketing some of it and drinking some booze. Joe will see this momentarily because Joe, who's this orphan street urchin who we're gonna, who's now a main character uh, over 45 minutes into this movie. <laughs> who we don't learn his name for like another 15 minutes of nope. the movie. No, we fucking don't. It just focuses on this kid. We have no idea who he is. So my question is, when do you graduate from being a street urchin and you're just a homeless guy? Like, What's the age where the terminology changes? The ability to have stubble? Like, yeah. Okay. So once you get stubble, you're just a homeless guy. Yeah. You got to get that unshaven hobo look. 
Got it. Okay. Okay, good. Now, what I want to know is what kind of shit did Joe get into previously? Where he hides from the cops. Yes! A cop car starts to drive down the street, and he, like, ducks into the alley and presses himself up against the wall as if they're actively searching for him. But they're not. He's done nothing that we've seen. He's just walking down the street. He took a newspaper out of a garbage can, which I don't think is illegal. Yeah, pretty sure that's okay. Why does he hide from the cops? Because fuck you. Otherwise, it's a kid out at like 6 p.m. Because it's going to be dark. But there's people walking around with their shopping and shit. Like, right. And so he sees the Santa, as you mentioned. You know, when nobody's looking, he steals out of the collection box. Well, he thinks no one's looking. Joe well, he thinks no one's shit. looking. Joe's yeah. watching him. Pulls out a brown paper bag, drinks out of it. So, you know, this is to establish that Joe has a very dim view of Santa Claus, given his personal experiences. Yeah, see, this is where we shift from the magic and whimsy of the season into the jaded consumerism we're starting to get there now right and someone's watching joe uh so he looks at the mansion across the street and there's just a little rich girl smiling down at him and he smiles back and why is this happening i don't know why this is fucking ridiculous So she gets called away to finish her homework and we establish that uh, apparently she's under the care of her Uncle? No, no, her step step, step step uncle. Yeah. Who's also absentee. He apparently doesn't pay attention to her or what her grades are or anything because she's like, he won't even care. He doesn't look at my report cards. Yeah, but uh, this little girl's name is Cornelia. These kids are better at acting than uh, Homeward Bound kids. Oh, hands down. The problem with this kid's acting is that they were given shit lines. Yeah. Yeah, they actually do a pretty decent job. Yeah, they did a solid job given the material. Hats off to them. Good job, kids. You did your best. They don't have dead eyes. They don't have dead eyes. They have expressions. <laughs> Joe's actually really solid. Yeah. I think Cornelia, she wrote some books later in life. Like, good for you, Cornelia. Back at the North Pole, uh, Puffy and Patch are pitching to Santa why they should be his assistant. And by the way, fuck yeah, Santa, for putting it into the argument. Because Puffy's talking about how it's all traditional, and Patch is talking about how he's going to be modern and everything, and, well, your way's boring, well, your way's sloppier, your way, you know, da-da-da-da-da, and they're just bickering. And Santa cuts in and says, don't give me campaign promises, give me results. The one who gets the job is the one who does the job best. Right. Fuck yeah! Yeah, fuck yeah, Santa. So basically, we have modernization and innovation versus traditional methods and quality control. So now we get another montage of making toys. And by the way, Puffy has to do nothing. So yeah, we've got two teams now. Not Tom Segura's walking around just glassing, just glassing. And everything's done the same old way we've already seen. Hammer it together, paint it, sand it. The way that it's been done for hundreds of years and has been proven to work. And Patch is standing at this giant table and people walk by with things like a duck and an arrow and he points at shit and it turns out they're building an automated factory assembly line out of wood. Yes, that is exactly what they're doing. And instantly shit starts to break down. Well, at first it works, right? At first we see for, it- For we... like the first eight toys. It's during this same montage. I feel like the shit breaking down should have happened a little bit later. We continue to see it later. Right. Talking about how the the, the manufacturing process breaks down, because we see it at first works, like the things get screwed the right way, and then it goes faster and faster and faster. We see 
like the screws not going into the wheels of the tricycle as right. it's being manufactured. So these should all have broken the split second they came out of the machine. But no, this is like, despite nothing being screwed in, the toys stay together. How the, I, I, my brain was like, I want to figure, no, I don't want to figure out the fucking mechanics of this because this movie's stupid and I hate it and whatever. This bring down should have happened later. Like we show him getting made. We see the results, which spoiler alert, Patch makes a shitload more toys. So he gets the job. And then we see them getting made shoddily. And so now it's like when Santa goes over, like he sees Puffy's pile and it's, it looks nice. But all he does is just glance at him. It's like, oh, you got more toys. You got the job. There's no inspection. Nope. He doesn't look at anything. And so if they had performed quality control, they'd be like, no, these are shit. Puffy, you get the job. But again, this movie's stupid. But again, if they move that part of the montage to later, then it all fits together and makes sense. There was, a, yeah, there was a sensical movie in here somewhere. They had the, like, a somewhere. <laughs> somewhere in this movie, there was a real movie. Uh, they just decided not to make it. But I have to mention something that you might not have picked up on from Puffy. Puffy's pile of toys. Oh? This is only something you would have noticed if you are familiar with British culture. If Julian was here, he might have picked up on it as well. In Puffy's pile of toys is a gollywog. I am not that familiar with British culture. <laughs> what is a gollywog? A gollywog is a racist doll <laughs> that some people are like, no, it's not racist. It's part of our heritage. It's a pitch black doll with inner tube red lips. Oh, God. So it's like the American, like the black uh, salt and pepper shaker sort of thing, you know? Are you familiar with Swarte Piet from the Netherlands? Like when the Dutch people do blackface, that's obviously racist and from colonial times. Yeah. So imagine Swarte Piet was a fucking doll. Well, damn it, because I was always on Puffy's side. <laughs> yeah, Puffy made a damn racist it, ass doll. Yeah, he made, and you know, this is from like, it was used in advertising. There were books of the Gollywog. He had a whole oh, like sit like a literary universe and like there were gollywog dolls britain's kind of like try to you know wind this back this was like yeah the 80s they don't give a fuck but like yeah there is a goddamn gollywog on this like look up a gollywog after this like it is horrifying and puffy made a gollywog so puffy's a racist and puffy could go fuck himself puffy oversaw the production of the he didn't he didn't make it we know he didn't make shit. Yeah, and Hitler didn't, you know, gas anybody directly in, in the concentration camps, but he's still kind of responsible. Charles Manson never killed anybody. Charles Manson never <laughs> killed anyone, yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas! <laughs> Merry Christmas, we're comparing a Christmas elf to Charles Manson and Hitler. Welcome to the podcast, new listener. <laughs> my face matches my shirt now. It does, it's really red. <laughs> <laughs> it might go purple here in a moment. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, All right. Well, we need to get past this shit. Right. Move it on. So, um, but Puffy is a very gracious loser. You He's know, very gracious he gets loser. his pat on the back and, you know, he, he gives a little applause for Dudley Moore. Yeah. And Dudley Moore P Patch gets a red apron that's his assistant. Too. Yes. A red apron. Mm -hmm. all right back to this is totally new york city and i have this moment of homelessness is brought to you by mcdonald's <laughs> <laughs> this was at the time the most expensive piece of product placement ever put into a movie get the fuck out of here this extended mcdonald's sequence 
It's just this long sequence of people smiling and enjoying their McDonald's food while Joe is outside literally with his hands pressed up against the window wishing he could have something to fucking eat. Yeah, and this is when McDonald's was dirt cheap. Have you been to McDonald's lately, dude? It is fucking expensive. I got an Egg McMuffin, a sausage and Egg McMuffin, and two hash browns. It cost me over $14. That's why you go for the uh, two sausage McMuffin meal. It costs about the same as all the other meals, but you get two sandwiches. It's way too expensive, and it's not worth it. And I still haven't been in a very long time, but uh, if you're able to get there by breakfast, that's the best way to <laughs> spend your money. I mean, it's McDonald's, so you really shouldn't anyway. Yeah, but, really shouldn't. Yeah. But yeah, anyways, so while Joe is starving out in the street, Cornelia and his stuffy nanny are eating fancy rich people dinner. Mm -hmm. Nanny leaves to go watch Masterpiece Theater and tells Cornelia to work on those Latin verbs. And now I have this moment of homelessness is brought to you by rich people and Coca-Cola. Because she sees Joe peeping through the window. Not creepy at all, because he just apparently stalks her house. <laughs> yeah. She makes him a plate of food, goes into like the side part of the house, and he goes... Psst, psst, little boy, little, little boy. boy. You know how children speak? Little boy. You know how children speak in the 20th century? Or she saw a stray puppy or kitten and is trying to get it to come inside. That's what this is. Here, boy. Here, boy. Come on, come on. I'm not going to hurt you. Yeah, so she makes him a plate of food on a fancy plate. Very fancy plate. Brings yeah. him out a Coca-Cola. My version of this was this act of charity is brought to you by Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah. She leaves out a fancy plate of food for him, but doesn't bring him any silverware. So it means <laughs> that when no, she goes back too. inside, leaves the plate out, she goes back inside, like watches through the window. He just comes and starts fucking eating with his hands. Okay, few things. Number one, there are two different cans of Coke. When she sets down the plate and sets down the can, it's the the big, bold, blocky Coke label that's facing the camera, of course. When Joe runs to pick it up, it's the cursive Coca-Cola label. But wouldn't that... I, I feel like cans have had both of those on each side of the can, like he might have just turned the can. Who? Joe. Like he might have like turned it around. No, 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 no. She sets it down. It says Coke. It cuts away to her coming inside. Right. We then go back outside where he runs up to grab it, and it says Coca-Cola. It changed in that moment. He hadn't even gotten there yet. I'm just saying that whoever, like, it could have just somebody who reset the can could have turned it around accidentally. Mm. Anyways, mm. this is pointless. Anyway, second note, I know it's supposed to be that she's watching him eat, but I don't see how that's possible. Because he picks it up from the door and runs down the wall a little ways and then is pressed up against it. And again, eating with his hands because, I mean, it's a plate, yeah, but you're not going to give the waif the good silver. Come on. You'll give him the good crockery, but not the good silver. And then she's looking out the window of the door. If you're on the inside of a door, I don't care how far you turn your head, you can't see down the wall. Nope, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Back at the North Pole, we see the factory continue to turn out toys that are not getting screwed in properly and would absolutely fall apart instantly. Yeah. And by the way, quality control is, like we were mentioning, is a part of industrialized mass production. Now that you have elves not putting the toys together, they got time to inspect them. Like, you can just reassign people, but you don't have a movie if you, you know, think a right. little too hard. Right. Uh, so Santa's going off and flying through the night, doing his thing. Uh, he catcalls the Statue of Liberty. Yes, he does. Uh, says, Merry Christmas, pretty lady. He gets the Statue of Liberty flyby because, again, this is the same people that made Superman. Yes. <laughs> Him superimposed on B-roll of New York City. 
Yeah, and somehow he spies Joe at a trash can fire. Yeah, and I'm t- I'm sorry, out of the hundreds of years you've been doing this, is this the first time you've noticed a homeless kid? Apparently so. <laughs> Have you had your head that far up your fat ass Santa? Like, holy shit. So he lands on the roof of an, I guess, apartment building or something, and then teleports down to Joe's fire. Right. And Joe is completely unimpressed by this. I mean, he wasn't looking. He didn't see Santa appear. All he knows is just this Santa-looking dude walked up behind him or something. Right. So, yeah, he more or less calls Santa a drunk bum. Because he's like, I'm Santa. Don't you know what that means? And he's like, yeah, you're out of a job till next year. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, this kid. He is so jaded. You know, but essentially, like, I'll prove it to you. And he magics he him up. He abducts him. Abducts, abducts him. Joe. He abducts a child, magics him up to the roof. And by the way, we know that magical teleportation exists in this world. And it, this this concept will be reinforced later in the film. The reindeer are pointless. <laughs> That's just him showboating. As a matter of fact, it would be so much more efficient for him to just teleport from house to house in his endless night. Just chuck the toys under the tree and keep going. Anyways, I'm overthinking this stupid. Yeah, movie. my more- my my head canon is that like he'll land and then maybe teleport into a few homes. Like he doesn't make a stop on every single roof, that sort of thing. But this is where I noticed something. And again, production design very fucking good. Santa has lanterns on his sleigh. They're running lights. The correct side is a green light and a red light and some white at the back. He has running lights like you would for a ship or a plane or something like that. Weirdly, though, they've always been that way from the very first flight. Before there's any way this was even a standardized concept, he had running lights. Anyway. So yeah, so he abducts Joe. Abducts Joe. Like he gets in the sleigh, because now he kind of believes that he's Santa. Gets in the sleigh with him. Uh, kids don't accept magic sleigh rides from strangers. Just don't do that. And apparently the magic activation word for the reindeer isn't, you know, the traditional on dancer, on prancer, on dog. Like, it's yo. Tells him to say, tells Joe to say yo. Joe says yo, and the reindeer start flying. I am living in internal night. Do you think I have time to name all the reindeer to get them to take off every single time? Why not just say sup while you're at it? Sup! Sup! <laughs> and that activates the fucking reindeer. But Santa totally, like, screws with Joe because he leans over. He's like, hey, do you know how to say yo? And Joe's like, yo? Like, what the? You know, and he says it perfectly. Like, what the fuck are you talking about, weird old man? But since he said yo loudly, they take off. <laughs> right. So now they're flying around superimposed images of New York City. And he's like, wow, you really are Santa, ain't ya? Yeah, this does not look good. So first of all, we, this is where we finally learn that the kid's name is Joe. Yes, yes, we finally learn his name. We finally learn that his name is Joe. Uh, he asks Santa if the reindeer can do anything, which is a weird question. Pretty much, except the super duper looper. I've been trying it for years. Will Santa explain what the super duper looper is? No, because you can go fuck yourself, movie viewer. You can go fuck yourself with a reindeer antler. But we'll try it. We're going to try it. And so basically, uh, he does a stall. The reindeer start going up. And Donner freaks the fuck out, and they kind of drop and then go back and glide along their way. They do a stall maneuver. Right. And after the stall maneuver, Donner grunts and bulges his eyes like he's having explosive diarrhea. And Joe drops some awesome 80s slang about how it's okay, you know. Hey, chill out. Hello, fellow children, said this writer. (laughs) Right. And then Santa lets Joe drive. No, but John, John, we can't skip over this, because this super duper looper event. 
he was flying at speed towards the Twin Towers. As one does. As one does. And I was like, this like this camera angle made it look like he was going not just towards the Twin Towers. He was going at the Twin Towers. Yeah, they start going up. But they pull for, us But for enough of a time where my note here is like, is Santa going to do a 9-11? Oh, man. God damn. I knew you were world weary and like dead inside, but damn. <laughs> I was worried Santa was going to do a 9-11 in this 80s movie. Just say, it's not my fault they shot it this way, okay? Well, it's not their fault 9-11 happened 16 years later. (sighs) Anyways, Joe's now flying, because that makes sense. And he does what happens anytime you give a kid control of a, a car or a snowmobile, speedboat, whatever. He fucking guns it. He guns it. it under the Brooklyn Bridge. And Santa gets, like, motion sickness. <laughs> and Donner, like, almost shits himself. And by the way, whenever Donner gets scared where they're flying, they, they make a point of doing an insert of his ears going over his eyes. So he's, like, covering his own eyes. So, like, this is one of the moments where he yep. does that. And the way Santa's reacting is that Joe is flying. Yeah, he's flying at speed. He's flying much more recklessly. But the special effects don't let you know that. No, they're terrible. He's just flying normally. And, but because he happens to go under a bridge, it's like, you're going too fast or you're flying. You know, nothing except Santa's reaction would indicate that Joe is flying. But now Santa takes the raids back because he's got a job to do. So they yep. park the sleigh off on the roof of an apartment building. And while breaking and entering in some stranger's apartment, uh, Joe asks Santa what present he's giving this kid. And Santa's like a fishing rod. Joe's like, why? Well, not just why, but also like, we have in no way seen anything in the North Pole production that would suggest that they even make fishing rods. Yeah, but anyway, the reason is because he asked. And Joe's like, wait, you mean the anything you want yeah we realize the reason why joe has never gotten a present from santa is because he's just never wrote to him well because he never believed exactly he kind of catches himself before he finishes that thought though he's like i never i mean i never really wanted anything Yeah, yeah you know he's too cool for that shit yeah. So anyways, they nose touch magic up the chimney. No, no. Why the, no. All right, listener, they are not rubbing noses. They are not Eskimo kissing. It's the put the finger to the side of your nose. Their faces get a little close. Well, yeah, but you said they nose touch up the chimney, and I just had to make sure we gave them the proper mental image there. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, okay, good distinction, yeah. Um. So what do you know? The very next house they visit is Cornelius. Uh, she busts them snooping around her living room and just doesn't find this disturbing. Apparently, just jolly old men in red suits happen to frequent her living room. No, and if this house and the dinner and the fact that she's studying Latin hasn't tipped you off that they're, you know, rich assholes, you should try the cookies. They're from Bloomingdale's. Yeah, this uh, moment of Santa getting diabetes is brought to you by Bloomingdale's. <laughs> Bloomingdale's for all your beatus. <laughs> all the beatus. Yeah, because she asked him, are you really Santa? And he's kind of like says smugly, boy, I hate it when this happens. He's like, oh, you got me. And then they're like, oh, it's you. Her and Joe recognize each other. And so Santa's like, oh, you know each other. And Joe's like, well, kind of. It's like, she fed me once. Like, they don't know each other. They've spied on each other. They've spied on each other. And they're they're like in the middle of introducing himself. And, the, and Santa just has to introduce. They're like, I'm Joe. I'm Cornelia. And I'm Santa Claus. And it's like. Bro, let them have their moment. We know. Yeah, they know. Let them have their moment. Like, it's not all about you, Santa dick. But Santa gives them their moment because he's like, hey, Joe, 
How about you stay here? Santa does him a solid. He's like, you stay here. I'm going to finish my job tonight. I'll see you next year, all right? No, but that's fucked up because he knows this kid is homeless and he leaves him to fend for himself for another year. That's I know. That's so fucked. Which, by the way, during which neither of these children age. No, not at all. <laughs> oh, fun little detail. You see John Lithgow's picture on the mantle. That's right. You see a little portrait just in the distance, a little foreshadow. I'll say, but it's 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 just back there. Yep. Yeah. But even I mean, his reveal is spoiled anyway. We'll get there. We'll get there. But um when they're talking about all this stuff, I do have a big complaint. Joe says excellent, and he does not do air guitar. Do you I mean I get he's homeless, but come on. Bill and Ted etiquette is always in place. Always in place. I agree. Yeah. So cue a bunch of kids getting hurt. This was always even as a child i did not have sympathy and empathy i always found this funny right because all these kids are like riding the toys that were made that break that break they hurt themselves (laughs) like the one kid's wagon gets run over by a school bus and i think it's so funny because it's just so over the top right like if it just broke and a kid got hurt i could feel bad but the parent comes and picks the kid up and then just kicks the tricycle he was riding out into the street just kicks it off the curb. Right. And another kid's pulling a wagon, a thing comes attached, and it rolls away. And he's like, oh, no. And it goes out in the street. And like Nick just said, gets fucking smashed by a buzz. Like, everything is so over-the-top mean about this. Cartoony as fuck. And then we cut to Joe getting beat up by some other street urchins who apparently know that Joe knows Santa personally. Yeah. Like, yeah, he makes crap toys. Like, no, he doesn't. And then we cut to Cornelia at dance class getting bullied for the same reason. This was also one of my favorite moments as a kid because just the other girl's voice is so bratty did a great job this kid oh yeah oh yeah but the line it's the line and the delivery that i just love well because she makes fun of cordelia for not having parents and she rightfully gets smacked yeah. for it yeah <laughs> she's like my parents got me a da 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 you don't even have parents so yeah <laughs> here This has got to be the inspiration for you and Orphan moment from Black Dynamite. I I still need to watch that, but... (gasps) Oh, yes, you do. Oh, my God. I'm about to become your best friend once you watch this movie. This will redeem for Santa Claus. Okay, good, good. Because you do need some redemption after this fucking shit. (laughs) So back at the North Pole, uh, Dooley's like working in front of a fireplace and notices toys coming out down the chimney. And it's like, oh, my gosh, returns. We've never had returns. And Patch realizes he fucked up. He gives Santa his red assistant apron. Santa starts to tell him and he cuts him off. And this is the nicest version of the you can't fire me, I quit. Yeah, or it's like, I know you're going to fight. I'm just not even going to fight this. I'm just yeah, going to again, like- it's the very nice version. He knows what's in and he's just, you know, red, red's just not my color. I'm sorry. And he yeah. hands over the apron. It goes to Puffy and then patch exiles himself yeah he thinks santa doesn't like him anymore and because of that he needs to leave the north like he's like instead of talking to him santa and kind of like you know because of this guy that he's worked with with hundreds of years they have this mutual respect for each other instead of like going to him like a fucking adult making sure that the air is cleared he's just like no he doesn't like me anymore uh packs a hobo bag and fucks off yeah so my note here is Patch has a big old drop in the elf confidence, saying he just doesn't 
of like me, to which I say, dude, you just quit. Yeah, he didn't fire you, you quit. But then he does get rejected because as he's walking through the North Pole, the little like Santa village, whatever land, fades from existence for him. So yeah, he can't find his way home now. And somehow he makes it to New York. No, he can make it back. And by the way, he like hugs all the reindeer before he leaves and they start crying. Or shitting themselves or oh face, yes, we know. No, the tears. I'm talking about the tears that come out of their eyes. The viscosity of these tears. It's like Purell is coming out of their eyes. It is disturbing the crying that these reindeers do. They're dehydrated after flying for endless night. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Well, and I now I have here big blocky notes. Uh, this is where I almost gave up, John. I hope you're happy. <laughs> well, this is, again, this is what the review is. Now that you're ready for it to be done, the second act is kicking in. This is the... No, the first act can fucking begin. Like, we haven't even gotten to a first act yet. We Jesus. radically shift gears. Well, anyways, we're going to take a break. Okay, yeah. Will this movie have stakes, a plot, or anything that vaguely resembles a fucking movie? Spoiler alert, no, but yeah, we'll be back to break down the rest of this. I mean, I think it's legally a motion picture. Anyways, we'll be back. Wow, I can't believe the podcast became so successful we were able to buy a time machine. Right? Not to mention everything's so much cheaper here in the 80s, but man, this McDonald's and Coca-Cola even tastes better. Yeah, it's a real shame they got rid of the styrofoam containers. Just had a lot of character, you know? Man, not to mention the McDLT. I mean, they separated out the hot and cold parts of the burger. It's build your own sandwich. Hey, there's a there's a poor kid looking at us through the window. You see that? Yeah, the one who's like a slightly more clothed village people leather guy? Yeah, yeah, that one. He looks really hungry and cold, don't you think? Yeah, that's pretty sad. I mean, it's so close to Christmas, too. Hey, you know what? With all the money we made podcasting, we should help him. You know, we could buy him dinner and then afterwards get him set up at a good school and give him a bright future, you know, make this the best Christmas ever for him. Yeah, that would be a great thing to do. Spirit of giving and all that. (gasps) I got something better. I'm going to smile and maintain hard eye contact while chowing down on this quarter pounder with cheese. (laughs) Oh, nice. Oh, dude, he's so upset right now. Oh, my God. Hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to drop my 20-piece chicken McNuggets on the floor just because I can. Oops. (laughs) Classic, Nick. Oh, my God. I think I see tears. He's crying. He's he's crying. Dude, he is totally crying. Ah, what a little bitch. And that's the story of how money turned Nick and John into absolute assholes. Joe the orphan would eventually die in the streets due to their indifference, and also because Santa did nothing after learning about his homeless situation. Because Santa is a dick. The end. That's a shit story, Grandpa. Tell me a different one. All right, all right already. Princess Buttercup formerly lived on a farm, (laughs) and Carrie Elwes was there for some reason. And we're back, and we find ourselves in the middle of a congressional hearing where we finally meet the antagonist (laughs) of the film. Yeah, it's this weird tonal shift. We're suddenly introduced to, like, the second major character. Yeah, the the big bad of the movie, played by John Lithgow, who, as I mentioned earlier, is the only watchable part of this. John Lithgow, 
axe hammy. He knows what movie he's in. Oh, he is incredible in this movie. He's really fucking good. He plays the, you know, evil toy tycoon named Beezy because it sounds like sleazy. <laughs> this movie wishes it were clever. So he's at this congressional hearing because they are investigating him over unsafe toys that BZ Toys is producing. And this is Batman villain levels <laughs> of ridiculousness. So they start off with this doll called Betty Beauty. And a dude lights a cigarette, Doesn't not even the lighter, but just the embers of a cigarette, and barely touches the doll, and it goes up like you coated this thing in like hairspray or gasoline or something. Yeah, lights the doll's <laughs> vagina on fire. The part of the anatomy that he decides to light is the crotch. Uh, I always thought he just touched it to the dress, but no. potato, potato. Then they break open a panda teddy bear. A panda a teddy bear. Pa- just to make it extra sad. A panda teddy bear to reveal that it's... Okay, hold on. They don't just break open. They rip its head off. Yeah, they rip its head and off. And then turn it upside down and start shaking it. And broken glass and rusty nails fall out. Sawdust. It's sawdust and nails. This is the the Inland Empire of <laughs> good <laughs> representation of where you live. Specifically Fontana. Mm-hmm. Or Fontucky, as other people in the Inland Empire refer Fontucky. to. Fontucky. That's amazing. Um, so the senator that's kind of running this show tells him that he needs to recall every single one of his toys or the consequences will be he will yank his business license. And my note here is even in the 80s, the 1% didn't go to fucking prison. <laughs> Such low stakes for him, given what he's done. And so outside the set of chambers, uh, BZ's lawyer or what's his I don't know. What, Towser? Towser, yeah. What's, he, what's his? He's like, he's, I guess you could say he's assistant. He's basically his toady. Right. He's his little henchman. Tells him that all their toys are being pulled off the shelves by retailers are losing tons of money and they're not. Maybe he's an accountant. I could totally see that because he's he's just this whiny little needly but he's always right there at his side just yes and he's the one who frets about everything he also mentions that they're not going to make payroll for their workers they got two thousand workers they're not because of all the cash negative cash flow they're not going to make payroll to which john lithgow replies commies <laughs> and back at the north pole santa's sad to hear the patches run away but the, the el- and doesn't Fuck all does about it. nothing. We're not going to try and find him. We're not going to send anyone out to look for him. He's just he's gone. just gone. But the elves are sure that the outside world is nice. You know, they get such nice letters from the children. I'm sure it's not a. That's right. Of course, it's a wonderful place. Cut to Patch magicking in front of a toy store in New York City. Who no one notices except the drunk. Well, the drunk notices and poof away. OK, but anyway, I'm, I'm really glad they didn't do that thing. Where, like, he looks at the bottle and is like, oh. But what Patch notices here is that this toy store is pulling all the BZ toys out of the window. But he thinks it's because they're super popular, they can't hold on to them. Right. And this is where he poops away the drug homeless guy, like... He reacts, but just not in that cliched, ugh, gotta stop drinking sort of way. He's just like, that was weird. Well, the movie still fails at humor here. It tries to play this up as a funny moment, and it's not 
this movie really hates homeless people between Joe and this guy <laughs> doesn't like homeless people. So BZ arrives in his super fancy office. I wonder if it's the same guy who played the Santa earlier because like Joe commenting about how he's out of a job till next year and he's still drinking in public. I mean, he's he's got the big fake beard and wig and everything on. So it would be really hard to tell, but I'm just curious if it would be the same guy that would be inspired. This movie is not inspired. <laughs> As I was saying, BZ arrives at his super fancy office to find Patch sitting in his chair. Tries to call out for help, and Patch is like, well, can't really do anything about it, because I'll just disappear. And he, like, poofs around the office. This really comes across as a threat. <laughs> like, the elves are really good at subtly threatening people. And Patch tells him that he's a great toy maker, that BZ's a great toy giver, he's got no reason to believe this, and that they should work together. Because basically what Patch wants to do is prove himself to Santa and make Santa like him again. And we're literally an hour into this movie and we're finally having a fucking first act. We're finally setting up stakes. We're having inciting incidents. We're doing the movie thing after having had over an hour of fucking movie. So Lithgow, he's a little bit incredulous at first. Like Santa, you know, he never brought me anything, that sort of thing. Don't believe in him. And then he he just delights in the memory of him being a bad child. Because Dudley Moore's like, you were probably a bad kid. And he's like, <laughs> yes, no angel. I'm no angel. And that amazing John Lithgow. John Lithgow is an amazing voice. God, it's so good. And so after that, he is on board with this being reality way too easily. Way too easily. He doesn't like it because he saw this guy poofing around the room. True. I guess that's just enough for him to want to go into business with this guy. He's going to take about his word that Patch is a great toy maker. Patch gives him a deal that there's no way he can pass this up. I'm going to make you the most amazing shit that's ever been created. And it's just me. There's no other employees. There's no overhead. Yeah. Super low cost. And it's going to be amazing. Doesn't tell him what it is. No, no, he doesn't. But he does tell him it's a special ingredient and shows him Disney sparkles. So, yeah. Yeah. But this movie truly did raise me because all Patch needs is a bowl of stew and a cold place to sleep. <laughs> but also, like, they do a whole thing about marketing because he's like, you know, he doesn't oh, yeah, like yeah. Patch doesn't know how marketing works. And BZ is like, oh, yeah, you know, TV is the best way thing for my line of work. He's like, oh, yeah, the, the thing, the box thing. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, Patch says he wants to be on all the channels around the world. And BZ's like, holy fuck, that's going to cost so much money. And this is where Patch gives this creepy ass line that he learned from Santa. The Santa's which wife. Goes, I believe it's Santa's wife always said. Well, whoever said this needs to not be around consenting adults because the line No, consenting is, adults are the only people they should be around. Right, but there's a non-consensual like implication here because the line is, if you give extra kisses, you get bigger hugs. If you're nice, people will treat you nicely. That's what it's saying. I know you're dead inside. I thought I was dead inside, but Physically damn, transactional way of describing it. It was not kosher. I mean, it's Christmas. Christmas yeah, but he's kosher innocent Christmas, and, but... you know, he's naive to the ways of the world. He wouldn't understand that there's a weird way to but take again, it. again, this is a 40-something-year-old man playing this character, and it comes across as unbelievable and creepy and weird. Put this in an animated movie and this line is way less creepy make a claymation figure say this line it's way less creepy middle-aged man with an insane amount of blush on his cheeks in a polka dot shirt yellow with green polka dots my god 
It's fucking insane. It's amazing. So he really sells BZ on this something special that he's going to make. You know, like he said, doesn't need workers, only needs some stew. He's got a secret ingredient, but they're going to give it away for free. John Lithgow's facial expression is amazing. I loved this. Oh my goodness, that's fantastic. How do you make your face turn so red so fast? <laughs> yeah, he like leads back in his chair. His face goes red. His I could have swore he swallowed the cigar he was smoking <laughs> at that moment. Entirely possible, and we didn't see it. He basically shits himself. But then he gets an idea that, wait, if I give away something for free, this is going to rehabilitate my public image because we've had all these, these scandals with Congress. And if it is as awesome as he says, first one's free. Next one's going to cost you, basically. Right, because now we're in the factory with Towser, his crony, and that's where he says, like, yeah, like, whatever it is. Still doesn't know what it is, by the way. Nope. But we're going to give the first one for free, and then if they want a taste, they're going to have to pay for it. It's like, yeah, it's using the drug dealer model. And this empty warehouse is also brought to you by Coca-Cola with their vending machines. <laughs> there were prominent Coca-Cola vending machines. Unlike the production floor. Not in a break room, just out on the production floor. <laughs> that seems safe. But yeah, you know, Lithgow's walking through. Isn't it wonderful? The silence, no people, basically. No one he has to pay, no picketers, no unions, no paperwork. None of that. They know that he's working on the delivery system. Don't know what he's making. They just know he's working on the delivery system. And so they bring him these prototypes because he kind of pops out the door in the place where he's working behind the scenes. He's working in the dispatch office. And at another attempt for humor, he put like a little X over the word dis. So now it's just patch office. Yes. Ha ha. <laughs> we didn't even plan to do that in the same time. We did not. <laughs> So they open up the prototypes and they're basically like glass versions of different shapes of what are obviously lollipops. Yeah. Obviously lollipops. Yeah. There's these long triangle ones, there's rectangle, and they, you know, and they Classic take the circle. standard circle. And that's the one that gets chosen. Yeah. And then what color is it going to be? And he doesn't care as long as it tastes good. And so Towser recommends puce. Puce. It's like, what's puce? Which for the longest time I did not know was an actual color. And it's exactly what he describes. Yeah, it's like fuchsia with a shade less lavender and a bit more pink. Is this supposed to be like an effeminate or gay thing? Because yes. they're asking and Towser's like, I like puce. And Lithgow goes, you would. You would. And like, after he explains, like, Towser, sometimes <laughs> I worry about you. Yeah. Like, you might secretly be a homo. That is absolutely what they're going for here. But then Towser's super excited because then they could bring out a whole new product. Puce juice. But you see, orange is a color and a fruit that has a juice. Puce doesn't. It's just a color. Right. It's like those old Sunny D commercials where like, oh, we got water milk, purple stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so again, Patch's plan is to prove that he's a good toy maker to Santa by mass producing candy. The plot of this fucking movie. It's not necessarily a good toy maker. It's being a great assistant. So he's going to make the most awesome product and get kids to love it. And that's going to prove to Santa how good he can be at the, as an assistant. Yeah, a product that the Santa's workshop doesn't manufacture or distribute. Dumb. It's a dumb oh, plan, Patch, and you're man. a dumb person for doing this. And fuck you for making me watch this movie, John and Patch. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, so back to the North Pole for the only time Santa actually does something in his downtime. Yeah, he's carving a figure. That is obviously Patch. Uh, okay, it's Patch, but it looks like Patch had a stroke. That's that's what it looks like. It's a, it's like a lumpy Patch. He is centuries out of practice at whittling. Yeah, it shows. He's lost his touch. It's not terrible, but I mean, it's it's not a... Yeah, the face is a little weird, but everything else on it looks pretty nice. Right. It's a wood carving of Patch sitting at a workbench, and this is apparently Joe's present. It's a present he's specifically making for Joe, and he comments, I think of Joe as if we had kids. You'd have a world-weary, jaded orphan? Like, what? Oh, that you would leave to fend for himself on the streets for a year? Like, that's how you would treat your child? Yeah. And that's I, weird, Santa. Right, that's but weird. But also just, one, Joe's general attitude towards life. <laughs> and, and two, it's like you've met children before because they've caught you. You know, that whole I hate when that happens moment. Yeah. None of them would have reminded you of an ideal child. Who the fuck knows? I was like, he's never met a kid in all these centuries. But anyway. So that scene's over. Like, the, that's it. Well, that scene's over. Here's the thing. Like, we say it looks like Patch. Mrs. Claus mentions that it kind of looks like Patch, and it seems like he did not do that on purpose. Like, subconsciously, no. he's, like, yearning for Patch. Right. But he's like, well, no, it is. Huh. You're right. It does. And by the way, Santa, it's 1985. Uh, G.I. Joes are making a comeback. You think your workshop could invest in some fucking injection molding equipment? Kind of get with the times, make toys that are of the period. Dude, you saw what happened last time they tried to get with the times. And getting with the times was 1950s, 60s assembly line. <laughs> process yeah but those at least have quality control just get some quality control it's all you need there's a way to make this work yep so now we're on a set for a commercial and this is the patch Natch song <laughs> yes and patch is in a sequin outfit that liberace would have considered a little much oh my god i mean if you want to talk about christmas being made secular and it's all about consumerism and blah blah it's this scene. Again, this works as a statement from the joy and wonder of being a child of Christmas time to adult cynicism. It works very well as that. But just, you know, there's no story or plot. There's no story around it. Yeah, because Patch looks around the set and he's like, hey, you know, this doesn't look anything like the North Pole. And Towser's like, you know, people don't want reality. They want to be sold the dream. Just just roll with this. Yeah, it's, it's giant glitter snowflakes and everything. He's like, there's no reindeer. There's no actual ice. Like, what, you know. Yeah, there's weird gingerbread houses. But then we cue the sexy lollipop dancers. And I think I found my new kink watching this scene. This... <laughs> I liked this. See, you're welcome. No, you need to. There's so many. I need so much more than five seconds of lollipop dancers to make up for the rest of this goddamn movie, John. You have not done enough. That's what AB repeat is for. <laughs> yeah, so we get sexy leggy, like holding these giant fake lollipops, doing a dance while Patch reads this commercial. And look, I get that this movie's making a statement about objectification and commercials and like where society is right now, but this is a fucking kids commercial. There's no way this like I watched kids commercials from this era. I watched kids commercials just after this era. There were no sexy lady lollipop dancers. And by the way, I don't understand why Patch is in the commercial. No, there's no reason for him to be. Nobody knows who the fuck he is. Right. He's not a selling point. Apparently him reading off cue cards saying, I'm an elf. From the North Pole, where the toys are made. 
people are supposed to believe that's true for some reason? I don't know. I don't know. Why not hire someone who can, you know, deliver lines for your commercial? Agreed. But then again, Dudley Moore is such a wonderful actor, he can suck at acting. On purpose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, he's good at sucking. And by the way, this thing that he's talking about giving away is obviously a lollipop. BZ Toys is going to give you a free lollipop. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, no one really is excited when they first get it, to be honest. They're like, oh, a lollipop. They have some candy. They eat it, you know, and that's it. But yeah, there's no reason for anyone to be excited about this. None. It's a fucking lollipop. If anything, you should be scared that the people who had rusty nails in their teddy bears are now giving away free candy. Yeah, there's some bullshit in that fucking lollipop. (laughs) Again, this movie's so stupid, so brazenly (sighs) unself-aware, stupid. And we see Joe and Cordelia, they're watching this commercial as it's airing on different parts of the city. Joe's watching it in the window of a TV store. Cornelia is watching it at home and Nanny tells her that her step uncle has stopped by for a bit and that she should go wish him a Merry Christmas. This is the dumbest reveal. So stupid because it's, oh no, John Lithgow is the evil step uncle. Right, but she walks into his office, study whatever, and she's like, Merry Christmas, uncle. And there's the big like chair turnaround reveal. But before that, he talks. So you already know it's him without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, he says, it certainly is. And he's got the big, cheesy, goofy John Lithgow grin. But then the way he spins around and, like, it, it you know, pushes in on him is like this dun, dun, dun moment. It's not. No, it's not. Also, he wasn't <laughs> stroking a cat after this chair reveal, which is a uh, missed opportunity. Yeah, but he wears spats and fur coats. He wears spats so. and fur coats. He is smoking a cigar at all times. Like, I get he's a douchebag, but I mean, like... Give him a cat. I say give him a cat. And also, apparently, <laughs> the North Pole has television, too, because they're watching yes, this shit Yes, now well. they have TV. And, you know, the, their takeaway from this is, well, at least Patch is okay. But for right now, Santa's got a job to do. Yep. So back at the factory, BZ arrives to see Patch getting ready to fly in this twee flying machine powered by MacGuffin dust. And the, they're, they're, quote unquote, fueling up the car. And this is obviously a string of tiny Christmas lights, the ones that blink to make it look like they're in motion, in a plastic tube. Obviously. Like, to anyone who is not brain dead, that is what this is. I mean, of course, five-year-old me didn't understand that, but, like, the instant I saw it, I was just like, oh my god, that is the cheapest damn thing. Okay. Now we need to break, (laughs) again, dive into the lack of logic in this film. Okay. So he's got this flying machine. This makes no fucking sense. No fucking sense. So you've got BZ, who's like, okay, cool. I don't have to have any, like, workers. But you still have access to, like, a comprehensive network of distributors around the globe that would be far more efficient to getting your lollipop to the masses than giving it to Patch in his wannabe Santa flying machine, who, as far as we know, doesn't have the time-slowing-down powers of Santa. That was my question. How is he cursed with Endless Night? We don't know if he is. When did Patch receive the curse of Endless Night? Or maybe he didn't, and so he gave, like, five kids the lollipop, and that was it. (laughs) <laughs> he got through Brooklyn and that was about as fast as he could distribute that goddamn lollipop. He has this flying car that was obviously like made by play school. It looks plastic as fuck. Right. And it's all like super brightly colored, like everything else from the North Pole. 
And he just has a trunk full of these lollipops. It's so stupid. So, again, I mean, at most, he's got, what, 100? Tops. Tops. And also, he can magically teleport from the North Pole to New York City. So, yes, he can teleport as well. He does have those he powers. He doesn't need a fucking flying machine. It makes no sense. And he certainly doesn't need a stage and a curtain and a great big unveiling. Because, again, BZ has no idea what he's been making. But because it's not costing him anything, he doesn't care. Yeah, I know, but you walk through this rundown, decrepit factory, and all of a sudden there's this super colorful stage and ramp and curtains, and why the... not opulence. The theatricality of it, it makes no sense. So, yeah, anyways. So he puts on his flying goggles, and this car flies out the upper level of a warehouse. And so now yeah. we see Santa going off his rounds, and so while Santa's putting his presents down, he notices this lollipop under the tree. This is metaphor of Santa falling behind the times, because he's always behind Patch. Patch is always a step ahead of him. Cool. Anyways, on the rooftop it's of a deep. building... This is some deep shit in this movie. I, I care so much about that metaphor. It's, 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 yeah. So anyways, on the rooftop of a building, Joe waves Santa down. And as he's coming in for a landing, Santa's like, well, at least someone down there likes me. Because now Santa's being a little bitch about Patch leaving. Well, not just that. You know, you had the returns. and We get more into Santa's depression. I mean, he gets seriously fucking depressed. So Santa hugs the child he let fend for himself on the streets of 1980s New York for a year. Now that the bitter cold of winter has set in again, Santa has come back to visit. He's a good guy, and Joe doesn't in any way hold a grudge against him. In fact, he's very happy to see Santa. Joe asks Santa if he saw a patch on TV, and Santa gives Joe the carving present that he didn't even bother to paint, by the way, or fix the face to make it look like, I don't know, Patch didn't have a stroke. And Joe is way the fuck too excited for this toy. He never had a present. I don't believe that like tots for toys like he's had cooler shit nope. in his life like this nope. he's at least he's on the run from the law you think he's gonna go to tots for he's toys, at man? least had a Someone's gonna blade. hand his ass in by the way can i can we quickly comment on joe's outfit in this movie i don't think we've talked about how he looks like for the folks at home <laughs> i can't wait to hear how you describe him if you've ever seen alex borstein in the marvelous mrs Maisel, imagine that but a little boy Okay, like he looks like he's trying out for the mini village people. There you he's go. In a, he's in a leather jacket and like that leather biker cap. And it is. He's got his fingerless gloves. He does have a shirt on. He does have a shirt on. Yeah, he's not that level of village people, but. Well, that's why it's junior village people. Right. You can't sex it up. Yeah, if Alex no. Borstein and the Marvelous Mrs. Mavel was trying out for the village people, that is what this kid looks like. <laughs> Uh, and so that wacky configuration of child in the mid-1980s is excited to receive a wood carving of a man he has never met as a present. By the way, Joe, that look was so last year. You need to step up your game. Yeah, bro. <laughs> at least get a butterfly knife that you could flick around. Like, at least look the part. At least... And by the way, after getting this incredibly shitty present from Santa Claus, his immediate concern is what the rich girl's going to get for Christmas. What did Corny get? He refers to as Corny. Yeah, Cornelia, Corny. That's a shit nickname. Stop calling her that. Oh, 
it'll come into play okay. in the most wonderful way. <laughs> and she's going to get a fucking mini piano. Yep. She asked for a mini piano. She wrote a very nice letter. That requires a level of mechanical complexity that is far and above a goddamn wood sculpture. And she's rich. She could buy millions of these. I like to think that the elves use their super long beard hair as like the wires in the piano. Oh my God. Sure, why not? (laughs) Apparently they've been seeing a lot of each other over the past year. And also she's done nothing to keep them off the fucking streets. Yeah. Hasn't done a thing. And so speaking of Cordelia, we cut to her house where she's unwrapping the presents with her nanny. She's playing her little mini piano. She doesn't want anything to do with the free lollipop. And for some reason, the nanny. Nanny's like, well, I won't let it go to waste. And Cordelia's like, fuck, eat it. I don't give a shit. So the nanny eats it. And we finally learn as the audience what is so special about these goddamn lollipops. Because for like a good 15 minutes, we're like, why the fuck are we making such a big deal over what is a goddamn lollipop? You can goddamn levitate. Because he bikes the lollipops with elf dust, and so everyone can float. The same dust that makes the reindeers fly. And while we are treated to a montage of headlines about how amazing this is, all the people are way too casual about this. The only person who has the appropriate reaction is the mom whose kid floats in and steals from the cookie jar. She freaks out. Yeah. Oh, and the cookie jar has no lid. Those are some dusty cookies. Yeah. This is some really dusty cookies. Uh, but by the way, the, the nanny, when she's floating... Oh, I feel like Mary Poppins... Don't reference better movies, movie. <laughs> it's a bad look. That's a good movie. You're a piece of shit. Don't reference better. Like, when piece of shit movies and TV shows reference way better movies and TV shows? No. Bad look. Yeah, so we see a bunch of kids floating, and they're all having fun, including this cookie thing. And, yeah, we get the spinning newspaper cliche that these poos pops, they're called poos pops. Puce. It's spelled P-U-C-E, yeah, so I'll give you a little bit of a pass, but it's puce. Okay, fine. Puce Pops. Puce Juice. Come on. It's easy to remember. Puce Juice, Puce Pops. Kind of sounds like Push Pops, if you remember those. Oh, man. Those were awesome. So now we're at a press conference in BZ's office. Um, Reporter asks Patch some questions, and he gets some cutesy answers, And because the movie thinks it's clever. I was way too lazy to write down any of these quotes, because fuck this movie. But basically, BZ uses this as an opportunity to say that Patch is going to be working exclusively for BZ Toys. And the Patch's reaction is like, hang on, we didn't talk about that. Well, they're trying to ask legitimate questions, especially given the company's history, like, What's it made from? All natural ingredients. Yeah, because Patch starts to give an answer and BZ keeps cutting him off, won't let him answer because, you know, it all sounds incredibly insane. And so when they bring up the subcommittee thing, BZ and Towser and like, they all leave like, oh, no more questions. Just no comment. We're done here. So Patch is like, hey, I think I did what I came here to do. I've got something to show Santa. I'm going to go back to the North Pole. But BZ smoozes him into uh, hanging around and making another batch that's even stronger. And we'll roll it out in just a few months. Roll it out in a few months. And by the way, he's like, no, we can't do lollipops. We got to do something different. Candy canes. That's remarkably different. That's going to keep people's attention because they're worried about keeping people's attention. He's like, yeah, we're going to do it in a few months. Why in a few months? Yeah, uh, March 25th, we'll call it Christmas 2 because we can't wait a whole year to do this again. You're making fucking flying candy 
You can do that at any time. You don't need a Christmas <laughs> thing. You can make any candy with this pixie dust shit. But yeah, just that corporate bullshit. Now it's Christmas too. Like there's literally no tradition. There's no reason behind anything anymore. It's just all a big sales grab. And Dudley Moore just has this the hell christmas too what pick a confection that is evergreen make it right now you don't even have to wait until march make it right now you just market it as like fucking beezy's candy that makes you fly done you don't need to do christmas yeah but anyway beezy poses it as like you know this one last favor for all those you know helpless children who just need joy in their lives and that you know that gets him to stick around and now we see depressed Santa. Yep. Santa's ready to just give yeah, up. Yeah, Santa's like asking, you know, Mrs. Claus, you know, is Christmas even worth it anymore? You know, the world is a different place. People just don't appreciate the joy and the look on people's faces after they give them a gift. Bullshit. Go fuck yourself. This is bullshit that's not how the world works people like giving each other presents they still like giving each other presents almost 40 years later people still Maybe like giving i am people just a useless old fool and i'm like yeah useless old fool who is immortal and sentenced to do this for eternity you did not consent to any of this like maybe this bz is smarter than me and it's like because he made candy using your shit you could do this right. you could do this right now right you could make flying candy. Like, holy shit, this is some ham-fisted Dark Knight of the Soul bullshit. Like, goddamn. Oh, man. So now we see Joe running through the rain to Cornelia's house. And why the fuck is it raining this hard in March in New York City? Like, why? I mean, I think this is what happens when you film in England. You think it's just rainy all over the world all the time. It is not March. I'll make the case a little bit later, but it is not March. BZ wants to roll out in March. Okay, so this could just be like a few weeks later. It would still be before March. It is literally like a week. Great. After so we're Christmas. in January. Why the fuck is it raining this hard in New York City in January? That's even worse. It's a heavy rain. My th- like that didn't even occur to me because Cornelia is asleep in bed during a torrential rainstorm, and she's on what second or third story probably of this house. Joe is down at street level whistling to get her attention and that wakes her up it wakes her up how she turns on her side lamp which evenly lights the entire room (laughs) then we cut to a shot of joe what we see is joe talking (laughs) what we hear is joe whistling So Joe can echolocate? Is that what I'm supposed to take away? He's Flipper? (laughs) Joe is Flipper. Joe is Flipper confirmed. (laughs) Oh my god. And he sneezes. Like, this is a foreshadow sneeze, by the way. He sneezes while he's out here. Oh my god. And she invites him to come in. Not, you know, hey, I'll be right down. I'll, I'll get you at the back door, one of our many back doors. She's like, no, come on up here. Climb up the fucking yes, drain yes, he has to, to my room. He has to climb up the side of this house in the rain. Up a fucking drain pipe to like the second or third floor. You gave him a sandwich. Go help him in that door. Again, metaphor. She's rich. He has to do all the work. The homeless waif has to put in all the effort. God. 
Anyway, so back at the factory, Patch is working on the evil candy cane machine. A factory whistle goes off, which prompts him to go into this like cold side room. Yeah, it's time to add the Disney sparkles to the mix, basically. We'll learn that this is cold storage. That's going to be important to the plot. But yeah, we just watch him <gasps> transporting sparkles. You just admitted to there being a plot. <laughs> So now back in Cornelia's room, she realizes that Joe has a fever, insists that he stay in a spare room in the basement. Yep. Good thing you climbed all the way up the house so that I could throw your ass in the basement. Yeah. So this is either the first time Cornelia has offered Joe shelter or he's been a prideful bitch this past year because she's been trying to get him to just stay there. And he's like, no, he doesn't want to stay there. Like, he feels fine. Like, fine, I'll stay, but only until I feel better. So Joe is now homeless by choice. Yeah. He's just homeless by Mm -hmm. choice. He's too proud to take Cornelia's charity. Back at the North Pole, we get more Santa depression. Uh, He rejects one of Puffy's new dolls. Yeah, not Tom Segura comes in with this doll that looks like any other just... It's a rag doll. It is a rag doll. But he's like, we got a new type of doll, and Santa's just depressed out of his mind. Does it fly? And they're like, it wets. And Santa just, like, he doesn't even turn to look. He just stares into his sadness. And they just awkwardly back out of the room. Ridiculous. Scene over. All right. So at the BZ mansion, BZ is woken up by Towser, who has urgent news that can't wait for the morning, and he can't risk telling him that it's over the phone. It's like 3 a.m. Cornelia is taking Joe's temperature in the basement. It's still high, but it's like 99. It's not quite in the triple digits yet. Slight fever. Slight fever. But she says it still hasn't gone down. He's been there for like 30 minutes. (laughs) I know. What were you expecting? Like, that's not how temperatures work. Anyways, looking at this basement, if the bug he's caught doesn't kill him, this basement will. How is this the same house? It's Dickensian, this fucking basement. Like, (laughs) no. I mean, that makes it suit Joe, but still. Doesn't suit, yeah, the rest of the house. This place is just disgusting. And so here's the thing. So she says to him, look, you got to get more liquids in. You got to get more vitamin C. Like, let's go get you some orange juice. So instead of just letting him rest there with his sickness, she insists that he goes all the way back up the stairs towards the kitchen door, because like this basement's like off the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And that's where they hear Beezy and Towser talking. Right, but she's a dick. Let the guy rest. Go get him some fucking orange juice. He don't need to bring it with you. He's sick. Let him rest. He's probably going to die of exposure in this basement. She could probably find a way to sneak around and then walk in the kitchen. Oh, sorry, uncle. I wanted a glass of juice. You know? She could probably find a way to pull that off. Right. But anyway, this is where I, you know, I mentioned earlier that this movie is bipolar on crack because he went from being sleepy and unhappy that Towser's there to he is jazzed the fuck up. He is like Santa Claus will be finished. We didn't know that he was fucking competing with Santa. We didn't know that he he even knew that Santa Claus was real. And BZ is going to be taking over Christmas. What the fuck? Fuck movie. Yeah. Next year, they'll be writing to me. You have never met Santa. You don't know that he's real. You just have this elf guy who can teleport and has this magic dust. He could be lying about the North Pole. This could just be some weirdo. You have not confirmed. You have not established that you are in any way competing with Santa Claus. The movie just needs to jam that in there so we can have a fucking like final showdown. And we are like an hour and 25 minutes into this movie. They're like 20 minutes left. And we are now establishing this rivalry without these characters ever fucking meeting. Yep. 
And now we get the brandy stifflers because they're celebrating this fact with John. What are they drinking? That's not brandy. They're drinking Pep's Blue Ribbon. What in the <laughs> actual fuck? I got irrationally angry at this. Out scene. of giant brandy sniff. <laughs> giant brandies, like comically large brandy stifflers. They are drinking PB fucking R. You keep saying stifflers. What are they? Snifters. Oh, I call them Stifler. <laughs> Calibri Green. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, anyways, freaking out of these completely large brandy snifters, perhaps Blue Ribbon, because fuck this movie for this has some half fisted product placement. This was the worst. I just want to quote Mitch Hedberg here, real quick. What the fuck did Paps ever win a Blue Ribbon in other than giving me the shits? <laughs> 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 amazing yeah so joe sneezes uh because again that that outside that was a foreshadow sneeze and immediately john lithgow and towser go into hunter killer mode. <laughs> yes not like hey what was that let's go check that out it's like you go there i'm gonna go here we're gonna fucking like attack formation it's Delta. like that Just clearly like, came <laughs> from the basement there's two ways to the door to the basement from the kitchen no there's not we've seen that we've seen the layout there's not there's the one door why are we doing pincer maneuver <laughs> do you know why john because fuck you that's why <laughs> flanking tactics to catch an orphan in the basement he's in the basement already where the fuck's he gonna go this basement where you cannot climb out a window and there's literally only one entrance and anything you touch will give you tetanus Oh, looking at it funny will give you tetanus. Like, that is the kind of basement it is. John Lithgow goes down into the basement. Cornelia hides, but Joe doesn't because we need to keep this movie going. And so he grabs him. Kid, like you say, kidnaps a child. Yep. Uh, takes him upstairs, pawns him off to his chauffeur to take away. Why? This doesn't. Why? Yeah. This doesn't make sense. I mean, Joe's talking a bunch of, you know, he's talking pretty big about how he's going to toddle everyone and there's no way you're ever going to beat Santa Claus. Who is going to listen to Joe? Nobody. Because nobody even knows Santa's real. A couple of kids may have seen him, but like, who the fuck Right. Knows? And it's not like he can go to the cops to explain the plan because they're after him anyway. They're not going to pay attention to him. Whatever it is he's done this past, the there's no way yeah. he can go to the cops. So anyways, he gets taken away by the chauffeur. And now BZ is upset because Towser woke him up and there was this weird kid in the basement. Like he goes back to his mood at the start of this sequence. But he has the best line of the entire movie. What's the line? Have you ever had one of those nights where you just want to drop a bomb on the whole world? I really resonated with that line. <laughs> yeah. Really resonated with it. But yeah. Bipolar on crack because he goes from a, like low to ecstatic to low. Yeah, damn, like vagrant kids in the basement. You're waking me up at night. Yeah, by the way, what did you want? John Lithgow channels the audience. What did you want? Why are you here, Towser? Essentially, Patch needs to keep his pixie dust in cold storage because it's from the North Pole. And if you don't, it fucking explodes. That's all you need to know. It's a long, drawn-out story about how he moved stuff to another part, and it was by effect, blah, 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 blah. And if it's by a source of heat, it'll explode. Second best line in the film from Lithgow. What? How's it their problem if these people are so reckless as to have radiators in their houses? <laughs> <laughs> 
These damn people trying to be warm in the winter. How dare they? How dare they? Why didn't the lollipops explode? Go fuck yourself. I would say because it has a much smaller percentage of uh, Disney dust. Because when they were talking about upping the formula, I mean, Lithgow's saying like an order of magnitude, literally 10 times the amount that the originals had, if not more. Sure, why not? Movie continues. Basically, Towser's like, they need to shut the shit down. It's going to kill people. And Beezy's like, look, we're getting millions of dollars in cash in unmarked bills. How the fuck are you getting millions of dollars in cash and unmarked bills for a product that you have not demonstrated to exist or demonstrated the efficacy Yeah, apparently they're getting pre-orders out the ass. Pre-orders in cash! But again, they're raking in shit tons of money. We're just going to let it keep going. And then once it's delivered, we're just going to fuck off to Brazil. No extradition. And we're going to live the high life while... Patch takes the rap. Except Brazil and the USA have had an extradition treaty since 1964, so that's bullshit. (laughs) I looked this up. Signed in 61, went into force in 64, so no motherfucker, they're gonna get you in Brazil. You'll have a great time for like... Patch is inventing shit that's already been made for decades as well, so... Yeah, but just like sprinkling magic dust in it. Yeah, like he's not an inventor. No, I meant like the snow globe and the assembly line. Yeah, Patch actually really sucks at his job. Cut to Patch reading the elf rule book in bed. And is he sleeping in the back of the car? I think this is the back of the car. Yeah, but he's like converted it into a bed, so he like tries to pull down like... The trunk part, and it it's sort of like um a rolling door you might have on like a bread box sort of yes. thing. Yes, yes. That's, that's a great yeah. way of describing it. But he pulls it down like it's a blanket? Right, but like his head's in the way so he can't close it fully. Yeah, it's seriously like pulling a blanket up to your chin, but he's rolling this thing down towards his neck. If this thing slips, that's it. Like he's suffocated or something. And that's the scene. That meant fuck all. That's yeah, the scene. Yeah, it's just him going to sleep. That's the pointless ass scene. Uh, that we watch Joe get tied to a pipe and gagged in Beezy's factory. The the chauffeur just ties him up and leaves him there. And then we see that Cornelia, having like witnessed this or like heard it and like all this shit happened, waited until fucking daybreak to write a letter to Santa calling for help. She's had an eventful night. She needs a rest. <laughs> but yeah, she writes to Santa for help. Yeah, apparently calling... They try to address this just now, and I will elaborate on more, but apparently calling the police was not an option. I'm guessing that over the year at some point, um, she knows Joe's history, and she knows calling the police is not an option, that it won't end well for him. <laughs> she gives a different explanation. I will address it when we get there, but yeah. But again, wait till fucking daybreak. I mean, I get it's been a stressful night, yep. but you can't be like, I'm really quickly get that letter off to Santa, hit the hay. Nope. Nope. Wait till fucking daybreak. Uh, so back at the North Pole, uh, two of the reindeer apparently have the flu. This matters, I guess. Yeah, this is the only real tension in the movie is Santa needs to go rescue Joe. And there's two problems with this. It's only been two weeks. They've only had two weeks rest instead of a year. Right. And two of them are sick, so Slay's a little underpowered. Right. That is the only tension that has ever existed in this movie. And as we will see just now, doesn't fucking matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. In fact, we're better off without them. Yep. We will get to that moment when we get to it, but you are absolutely fucking right. I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. None of this fucking matters. No. No, it doesn't. And these are the most amazing um, 
thermometers? They put this thing in the, <laughs> the reindeer's mouth. It's a crazy straw that starts filling up the other way. And at the end, there's a bubble that lights up and says flu. And that's how you know they have the yep, flu. When it reaches the end of the crazy straw, you got the flu. That's the most amazing, bad shit, insane thing I've probably ever seen in the movie. Yeah. And that's counting the Batman movie that has shark repellent spray. Again, you've got to see this Adam West stuff, man. I it's do. Amazing. I do. I know. I know. So anyways, yeah. So they get, Shadow gets the letter. They got to go rescue Joe, elves, blah, 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 blah. They get the sleigh ready with only the six reindeer that are not sick with the flu. And Santa wastes valuable rescue time giving a pep talk to the reindeer. This is the lamest pep talk I have ever heard. Yeah, I was demotivated by it. This pep talk is bullshit. He's just like, I know we're a couple men down, but our good friend Joe needs us. So let's do this. Like, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, he says a lot more. Not really. But just go. You can give this speech on the way. You can give it on the way. Like, you don't have to fucking, like, wait. Just go. Also, you can teleport. Just go teleport to her house. You don't need the fucking radio for shit. Yes, exactly. So at the factory, uh, Patch goes to get more pixie dust and he finds Joe tied up next to like a boiler, releases him, and then Joe immediately attacks him for betraying Santa. Right. He thinks that Patch is in on the whole overthrow Santa plot. Yeah. But Patch isn't like, he's like, no, I just wanted to prove myself to him so I could go back to the North Pole, blah, 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 blah. And during this like scuffle the wood carving that Santa gave Joe falls out of his pocket and Patch sees it and he notices that it looks like him and this indicates to Patch that Santa still likes him. So then they become friends. Like inst like literally instantly. <laughs> yeah. Literally instantly. It's just a mood change. Nothing happens. There's no reconciliation. It's nothing. an even faster snap than the did we just become best friends moment in Step Brothers. And Patch tells him that they're just they're, they're going to go to the North Pole. And yeah, like, as we said, we're going to bring a gift for Santa for a change, a.k.a. the candy canes that he's made so far. Great. So Santa Claus picks up Cordelia. Yep, cool. Uh, she explains the whole. By the way, he appears at the fireplace in her bedroom. Yeah, dude, rich people have that. Yeah, but for a 10 year old, maybe she's 11 now. Uh, You're going to give them the access to their own fire? I had a fireplace in my bedroom in South Africa. Uh, it was a gas fireplace, but I had one. And you survived? <laughs> okay. I don't All know right, how fine. I did. Fine. We'll leave it. We'll leave it. I, I, look, this is, it, th that is one of many questionable parenting decisions my parents made, but yes, they installed a gas fire. Well, as long as we realize that it is a poor decision. <laughs> um, so anyways, she explains the exploding candy canes, mm -hmm. and she says she didn't call the police because they, she didn't think they would believe her. Okay. First of all, the whole floating lollipop thing. Is something that happened. Yes. Global phenomenon. Everyone knew about it. It was in all the spinning papers. Then it was in all the spinning <laughs> papers. <laughs> uh, I mean, you're not wrong. I'm not wrong. It was in all the spinning papers. Yeah, it was. And, you know, so yeah, it's being like, hey, my step uncle who owns the BZ factory who made the fucking lollipops is making explosive candy canes because he made them too strong. That's not a stretch of the imagination. Not at this point. Not at this no. point. And even if it was. 
even if it was, you could still call them for kidnapping. Yeah. They kidnapped Joe. You could call the cops for that. Kids, kids, if someone kidnaps your friend, call the cops. You don't need to, like, have a fucking candy cane excuse to call the cops to get your kidnapped friend back. Just call the cops. And then they'll find out it's Joe and arrest his ass, too, for whatever the hell it was he did. Yeah, indecent exposure at his village people. But at least audition. he's not out on the streets in the middle of a storm with a fever. Yeah, he's just now in a dang part of an abandoned factory strapped to a... No, no, I meant I meant better to be in jail than oh, he's out on the streets or, yeah, in the dank factory tied to a pipe. By the way, with a rag stuffed in his mouth as a gag... And we know he's sick, so that means he's probably congested. This kid's got to have uh, trouble breathing. Probably. It's amazing he survived this, yeah. long, to be honest. Good point. So Joe and Patrick are now packing up the candy canes into his contraption because, you know, instead of just grabbing the candy canes and poofing to the North Pole like we know that Patch can do... So Santa and Cordelia spot them as they're flying away. Okay, so Joe is in love with this flying car, and Patch is just the coolest, most awesome guy. And there was a moment where he's like, hey, can we even go higher? And Dudley Moore's like, yeah, of course, Joe. And my note here was, you fucking better go higher, because otherwise you're going to drive straight into that goddamn mountain that's right in front of you. (laughs) And here's the thing. While this flying is going on and missing mountains is going on, if Cornelia didn't call the police and no one knows that Joe got kidnapped. Why the fuck are the cops surrounding goddamn Beezy's factory now? Okay, yes, thank you. It's such a old-timey cops and robbers thing. Like, three cars pull up and, we know you're up there, give yourself up. There's no way for you to escape. Yes, uh, that sort of thing. Again, there's no reason for them to be there. They have no reason to suspect wrongdoing. Cornelia didn't call the fucking cops. Who called the cops? Did Towser turn him in? Who the fuck knows? But the cops are there, and they're at his factory. So in his office, BZ starts eating some of the candy canes so he can fly away. Yep, because they've run up, and they're starting to break the door down to get to him. But instead of being able to fly, he floats straight up into the sky. Yeah, but he crammed like six candy canes into his mouth at once. Oh, he might have OD'd. And, and like a last one for good measure before he jumps out the window. Fair enough. He might have OD'd so. on candy canes, spiked with elf dust. Cool. Yep. Elf beat us. Yep. So they're flying. They're trying to catch up to Joe and Patch, but because the reindeer haven't rested and they're down so too, like they're not able to catch up. And they're flying over the Arctic now. And you would think that because they're flying over the Arctic, the candy canes would be getting cooler. No. And they're in the back of the car with the hatch open. Or, or sorry, the bread box thing rolled up. Yeah, so, but you'd think the Arctic winter would be blasting it and cooling it at the very least. But no, they are heating up and Patch doesn't know that this stuff is explosive when it gets hot. And so there's only one way for them to save. Oh, John, 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 John. I know I'm going to have to do it. You're not going to be able to bring yourself to All I'm going to say is this. I know this. This moment. Fuck this movie. Fuck this movie. Fuck this movie. (laughs) And for this moment alone, if, if you had just shown me this part of the movie, we would still not be friends. I would have dropped your ass as a friend for this fucking shit alone. This is the st- like this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Okay, so listeners, please try to imagine this scenario. There's a flying car that's about to explode. You are also in a flying vehicle, a sleigh in this occasion, and you need to get those people out of the car. What do you do? Do you pull up alongside them and help them over? 
Do you get underneath so that they can jump out? Or do you pull the super duper looper? Fuck this movie. Fuck this movie so hard. In which you fly under the car and then do a loop-de-loop over them so that when it explodes, you are back underneath again for them to land in your sleigh. Because according to Santa, that is the only way to save these people. Fuck this movie. Oh my God, fuck this movie. (laughs) It's the... Dumbest oh my god, it's so dumb. Thing it's so I ever, dumb. Santa will, I laugh my ass off every time it happens and it looks terrible. It looks so bad. And it looks terrible. So bad. Yeah, they could have just caught it. Apparently, yeah, they didn't need to be trailing them the whole time because they immediately catch up when they decide to do the super duper looper. They easily catch up to them. Because it's Patch up there, and if you love him like he loves you, then you'll forget the entire line, but that's part of so it. So stupid. Yeah, loving Patch. Breathtakingly yeah. stupid, this fucking whole thing. And then this is the greatest payoff, is they, they catch him, they land in the sleigh, everyone's there, and, you know, Dudley Moore, oh, my boys, you're so good, da 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 And Joe makes the introduction, Patch, this is corny. <laughs> I told you it would pay off later. And yes, Joe. Yes, it is. It is some of the corniest shit you will ever see in your life. John, I literally finished watching this last bits of the movie about 40 minutes before we started recording and my brain refused to encode. Like, this is how much my brain rejected this movie. I just watched this scene just now and I do not fucking remember this because my brain said, no, Nick, we're not remembering this fucking movie. I will remember in great detail the Indian of the Cupboard and Homeward Bound, but this shit is where my fucking brain drew the line. Oh my God. Because it's corny. It's so corny. Oh. Oh, man. So back at the North Pole, uh, Santa adopts Joe now? Yeah. This also makes no goddamn sense. They get back, and instead of taking these children back home, or at least Cornelia, she gets to stay too. But only for a year. She gets to stay until next Christmas. He's going to take them back on next Christmas, but they're going to stay there a year. And Dooley's like, great, now I gotta figure out how to be a school teacher. And they're like, school? Cause haha, kids hate school. Because we expected this movie to end on a freeze frame at that moment. (laughs) No, but here's the thing. He only says for certain that he's gonna take Cornelia back next year. The implication seems to be that that's just now where Joe lives. Well, I mean, who's gonna miss him? It's true. Cornelia might. I'm sure he'll tag along each year. Sure. So then does he become under the umbrella of immortality protection, or is Santa going to have to watch him grow old and die now? Both are horrifying, because he would be immortal as a child. He would never progress. I wonder if he would mature mentally, though. But like he still has a child's body. Like Kirsten Dunst in uh, Interview with the Vampire. Right. Exactly. Ah. And then when Season's Greetings happens, he turns to Ash. <laughs> <laughs> much we have to keep joe away from season's greetings much better it's, movie. it's santa's vampire death chamber this just became amazing we're writing such a better movie than this fucking piece of shit <laughs> so anyway the happy music from the first toy making montage kicks up again and everyone's dancing and happy and then because it's the people who made superman We have to cut to space and a man flies past the camera. This time, though, it's John Lithgow and he's freaking the fuck out. And he breaks the alien rule. What's the alien rule? Well, we hear him screaming. Ah, 
in space, we get, yeah, we, the audience definitely hear him scream. And also, they play this for last. How is he not dead? Yeah, we are watching John Lithgow literal moments before he dies. He should be dead already. I mean, he should be dead already. He's not. There's no way he has enough air, or at least passed out. There's no way he has enough oxygen. He would have suffered severe hypothermia on his way out of the atmosphere. True. And now he's out there getting the full brunt of the sun's radiation. That (laughs) too. Yeah. And now this piece of shit's over. I'm fucking so done with this. Oh my God. Fuck this movie. Fuck this movie. Fuck this movie. That was Santa Claus, the movie. And of course, before we go, as millennials, we know that every movie and TV show has a moral. So, John, what'd you learn today? I learned that if someone is in an emergency situation and deadly peril, the best way to help them out is to literally run circles around them first. Especially if those circles involve the super dupe looper. Hells yeah! (laughs) And I learned that I hate you, John. I hate you, and I will never forgive you for making me watch this movie. I hate you so goddamn much. Uh, You're welcome. And before we go, we, of course, need to tell you folks what we're doing next time. John, what do they have to look forward to? We will be entering... The Matrix. Finally a good movie. Oh, please don't suck in hindsight. Oh, please, dear Jesus, don't suck in hindsight, The Matrix. Oh, man. I wish I could read this entire review. Okay, just just the juicy bits. Oh, man. All right. I'm going to have to paraphrase a little bit. Wachowskis, the hotshot writing and directing team, clearly set out to astonish with this one, and they certainly do. It's astonishing that so much money, talent, technical expertise, and visual imagination can be put in the service of something so stupid. (laughs) Folly on such a monumental scale is almost exhilarating. So this is what more than 100 years of cinema history has come to. Special effects with no movie. And that is just the beginning of this review. Uh, From 1999 when it first came out, this isn't one of those... No, this isn't one of those, like, looking back and it doesn't really hold up sort of things. This was an initial reaction. Wow. The headline is Lost in the Matrix. Pretentious sci-fi thriller, also a special effects spectacle. And that's our show. If you liked it, please subscribe. If you loved it, please share it with all your friends. And whether you liked it or loved it, we'd appreciate it if you gave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help others find us. Also, be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. Links to both of those are in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time for another episode of Millennial Rewind.